You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or die shrink for 3 percent off everything else on the website all right now let's get on with the show Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Slight Fever, Tom, and I'm joined today by my co-host... Uh, generally in good health, Dan. Good, because I, I my brain has just been cloudy today, and then I thought... It, it's weird, I've had this cold for a few days, and I've, I think I've told you, like, I've only sneezed. Mm-hmm. And then I realized today I had some general head cloudiness, but I, and then I was like, oh yeah, my forehead is warm i haven't had this feeling for quite a long time and i don't know i took some uh a little bit of medicine and then checked my temperature and it already had gone down so i actually think my brain is probably at peak at the peak efficiency curve it will hit today right now so this is very good timing for when we're recording but uh yeah i don't know i'm a little sick seems like you're not right yeah no i'm feeling generally fine but you know hope you feel better bruh no i was hope you said button i was like I thought you were going to go, but the night is young. I hope I'm feeling better, but I do have a terrible case of cholera. You do. <laughs> you completely I mean, jumping I'm, over like whatever suggestion I thought you would get. I mean, I don't expect you to get cholera nor rickets or anything like that. I mean, yeah, I need to stop drinking water downstream of where people go to the bathroom. But, you know, I would. I would suggest to do that before you get cholera. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good advice, I think. But um, I mean, besides that, I don't know. I, my birthday was uh, uh, yesterday as of this recording. When this comes out, it will have been a few days before that. Um, I had a, had a pretty chill time. Me and the me and the ladies, my lady and the other lady, uh, Reese. Uh, what did we do? We... We went to some little vineyard. I think we were definitely the youngest people there. And then we went to the Zoo Illumination show, which was a light show they put on in the Nashville Zoo and uh, chilled with some flamingos that were out at night. That's pretty sick. Did they like put lights on all the animals and stuff? They did not. Put, no, there were not. There were not tigers with like strobe lights walking around. The lights were separate from the animals. Um, Sounds like yeah. missing a uh, missing out on a, a cash cow with that one, Tom. <laughs> but I mean, it was a pretty pretty chill birthday, you might say. But that's good. I don't know. It's been such a long year. I didn't really want a crazy one, anyways. And I think it would be maybe illegal for me to have a big birthday when I turn thirty one because it's like, I mean, what are we really celebrating here, people? It's like get back to work. You're thirty one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but how was your how was your weekend? Uh, pretty good, I suppose. Chilled with uh with my dog for a while. That's the most eventful thing from my weekend. But 
Mm-hmm. So not Joker all that walks. different minus a couple of things. No, but it's getting cold out. So, you know, uh, getting to the point of the year where we, I don't go outside for two months. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. We talked to our parents, uh, you know, cause it was my birthday. They wanted to talk to me and as parents often have a genetic disposition to do. to do with their kin. And you know, it was, <laughs> it's so funny how they were like, we're talking about how it's cold here when it's 40 degrees out, 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And they're like, well, you know, at night it's gotten to negative one here recently in Minnesota. So <laughs> I imagine you're in the middle of Minnesota and Tennessee temperatures. Are you closer to Minnesota? Uh, not as bad as that. Yeah. But my birthday is also coming up. And guess what I'm going to be doing on my birthday, Tom? Traveling, as always. Tell people what usually has happened on your birthday your entire life. Somehow it always ends up that we are traveling somewhere. <laughs> right. Because we grew up mostly in Illinois. And so we would travel to Minnesota most years or or Pennsylvania, where we have family as well, for Thanksgiving. And then somehow always your birthday is when we were driving home. And I distinctly remember one year. I don't remember how old you were, but I want to say I was like 12 <laughs> and you were eight and you were in the car. And I remember us leaving Rochester. Uh, yeah, really leaving Rochester, Minnesota, like getting close to, I forgot if we were going to, to through the, you know, Wisconsin or Iowa way back to Illinois. And uh, I just remember looking at the, you're leaving Rochester sign. It's so weird. I remember that. And then our mom going, Danny, it's your birthday. <laughs> and then you just went, yay. <laughs> just completely annoyed that she yeah, wished that you a sounds, happy birthday while we were driving. That sounds right. <laughs> I just, rem- I, I'm sure that's happened in some form or another on multiple birthdays of yours, but that one specifically I remembered. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll be it's honest, a- Dan. You're going to be here in Nashville on your birthday, even though it is a travel day before you leave. We have a little surprise for you. Okay. So just, right. it'll be an above average travel Danny birthday for sure. Um, but I don't even know if we should keep going on this for any longer. We should get we into the reader mails. Um, TMC Peyton writes in and he says, howdy, Tom and Dan, what were your go-to foods to sa- what are your go-to foods to save money? Baked beans, ramen. I mean, honestly, when it comes to like breakfast food, no sandwich, which I sometimes have is for breakfast or like eggs and like, you know, a beef patty can cost more than like a few bucks combined. But when it comes to dinner, it's just my cheap food is I just make chicken pies with pasta and that whole meal comes chicken to like five dollars. What'd I say? Pies. I don't make chicken pies. No, mm. I make chicken. I have a slight fever. We've established. I have a I make chicken thighs with pasta. I've always thought, you know, if you want a cheap meal, you don't have to like eat beans and rice. Obviously, that'd be cheaper than what I said, but you can make like some sort of chicken cacciatore or you can make like a pasta and chicken meal for like four bucks. Yeah, it's pretty. Ch- I don't know. It, it, it's it's really not that expensive. I mean, I, I know like ramen is the go-to, like I need a meal food, but it's it doesn't really have that many calories typically, especially if you're talking about like Moroccan ramen, where I think it's like 200 calories or something for a, for one of those packages. And I don't think that's really a meal. No, and I'm a, me and you are both fairly tall people i have to eat like three or four of those for a meal so it's just not worth the time now if i wanted more protein and calories in a meal of course i would go to bite ramen that's for sure <laughs> but you know when it comes to like the cheaper which bite ramen with the most lots of discount it's like i don't know i think like five bucks for a package you can throw an egg in there while it's boiling 
but yeah, the 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 dirt cheap ramen that did. I I would just eat less food and then just have a bigger meal of like rice and chicken or pasta and chicken and overeating that. That ramen's never yeah. been really a thing for me. I mean, I I did it for a while in like college as like something I would eat at like nine o'clock or something as a, a snack. I would eat like half a, a package of that, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Well, let us move on from that then and get into the corrections and omissions. PC Dog writes in and he says, in regards to permanent daylight savings time in the U.S., which you guys discussed recently, the U.S. Senate did pass a bill in March of 2022 to make daylight savings time permanent. However, that bill was never voted on by the House and thus never sent to the president to sign. Therefore, the law has not been changed as of the day of this writing. Unless something changes, we will continue to change clocks twice a year. That's annoying. That's really annoying. Because I remember seeing news flashes, you know, like this earlier this year. And it was like, oh, daylight savings time is over. Celebrate, blah, blah, blah. And then it happened again in the past month. And I was like, wait, didn't we have a bunch of articles saying that's gone? And Google told me, yeah, it passed in. But I guess, I don't know. I guess we may, I guess the entire news cycle got excited for something that didn't ever happen. Which we were is just hoping. absurd, by the way, <laughs> that we still do this. Like when it was yeah. to save on candles. I mean, come on, guys. Make permanent daylight savings time. Where Tacus writes in and he says, In Broken Silicon 178, Dan suggested that if you wanted to watch a weird movie about plants killing people, then you should watch The Happening. But what he should have said is that you should watch Little Shop of Horrors. I understand it was an honest mistake, and I already forgive him. I mean, yeah, I suppose that's a fair correction. Uh, You said The Happening is a joke, because that's a pretty goddamn malign movie. I but, just uh, wanted an excuse to make fun of the happening. Right. <laughs> and uh, I do think, I was thinking about it, though, like, well, I mean, he didn't technically say it was a good movie, but it said, if you want to watch a weird movie about plants killing people, he you do use the word want. I can't imagine anyone would ever want to watch the happening. So that's, as much as it was a joke, true. I was thinking about being pedantic. But even if I'm pedantic, I think he has a point is what I'm saying. <laughs> um. But speaking of getting pedantic, let's talk about all the testing going on with an NVIDIA connector and story number one. All right. 16 pin 12 power VH gets further testing from multiple outlets and a official response from NVIDIA. So I have a small write up here and then I'll throw it to you, Dan. Uh, Over the past couple of weeks, the 12 power VH saga has continued, but at least as far as this outlet can tell, the majority of the issue seems to stem from a lack of audio or video feedback when you connect the 16-pin. In fact, NVIDIA is omitting the fact that there seems to be less feedback when plugging in the current 16-pin power connectors and is directly blaming it on user error in their official statement they have finally released. Having said that, there still seems to be evidence that many adapters are lower quality than others that are included with RTX 4090s and presumably 4080s. And at least in this writer's mind, something has to be pointed out here, even if we assume most of the issue is people not firmly plugging in a connector. Why didn't the RTX 3090 Ti have issues? It used a Gen 5 power connector. We don't have any examples, to my knowledge, of people having their 3090 Ti's milch connectors. So that's all I wanted to say. I know... uh, Gamers Nexus did some pretty extensive testing, which showed it. it's mostly about if you plug in the connector far enough. We also have links in the description to the fact that whatever final connector NVIDIA is using 
for Gen 5, um, for the Gen 5 ports and adapters seems to not have a real clicking mechanism. So it sounds easy-ish to not plug it in enough. And uh, I'm sorry, go on. Let, I'll well, I, I was going to say, I, I think it needs, the mechanism is there. It just seems to not be as, uh, I don't want to say robust because I don't think there's any evidence that mm. like it doesn't hold the put thing in place sure. well. I just don't think they it provides the feedback people are used to to uh having when you plug in a connector you know like Which if it's even with the 12 pin that i used with a 3070 um it would go uh, it would make a little click noise and you you know you're good yeah so i i think there's something there where it, it, it's not that it doesn't securely hold the thing in place when it's properly connected it's just harder to tell when it's properly connected than previous connectors yeah I don't know how much you've looked around. I know you have looked around more than me some days before we prepare for these podcasts. Would you say that Gamers Nexus is testing and so on and so forth, like it, that it really does seem to be that? Or do you think something else could be being missed here? Uh, it, you know, it, it's really hard to say. I, I, if I had to bet, I think Gamers Nexus probably has it mostly right. Uh, they point out in their discussion how they have a low sample size, which that's just inherent to this issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it does need to be pointed out that I, I don't know where they got their estimate from. So full disclosure, but they are guessing somewhere between a failure rate of like 0.04. Well, mm -hmm. yes, 0.04% to 0.1%, which if we're doing the math on that, if it's sold about 120,000 cards, that means somewhere between like 50 and a hundred of these mm. failures have occurred. So that's not that many. Uh, the number of failures that they can get a hold of and actually like do forensic analysis on like they did is even smaller because not everybody is going to send that in. Uh, mm -hmm. But from what I can tell, I, I think the best way you can put it is it's a confluence of uh, poor design of the adapter, not necessarily bad manufacturing, what I'm saying here, but just poor design. Mm -hmm. uh user error and then manufacturing issues where it seems like parts of the pins are like easy to bend or uh they're uh why can't i think of what it's called uh they like a, a the plating easily comes off on some mm -hmm. of them and it seems like some adapters have bits of debris still on it from manufacturing mm -hmm. but i think there's also something that needs to be said uh and i, I highlighted this in I think the last broken silicon we recorded is if you're like, go on Reddit after this, uh, a bunch of these adapters started failing. A bunch of people were unplugging and plugging in their connectors all the time, which also could be the source of debris in the port. Yeah. Which to be fair, the fact that, uh, like plastic sloughing off and breaking off into the port is causing these failures. Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like, it speaks well of the manufacturing of the adapters, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but it needs to be highlighted that I think it's a mix of people being paranoid, kind of bad manufacturing, not great design and user error like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's a confluence of those has led to about a hundred of these things failing so far. Yeah. So I'm a little conflicted on this for a couple reasons. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, I talk to a lot of system integrators who are building these 
4090 desktops and selling them and they honored like warranties for them so they would know mm-hmm. if something goes wrong and most of them say they've had almost no errors or failures maybe a couple have seen one but the overwhelming majority of volume doesn't have an issue so that's over here but in the other mm-hmm. bucket i have this problem where it is bizarre how long it took nvidia to respond and i yeah, know for is. a fact that jensen set up meetings with the makers of adapters and of the 16 pin port to discuss something and that there does seem to be a clear issue with audio slash physical feedback when you click it in so to me it seems like it seems like is this a gigantic issue this isn't like a red ring of death situation with the 360 that's for sure true but at the same time nvidia knows that it could be better and they weren't sure how to respond to it until they had a ton of meetings. Right. Yeah. It it, it took way too long to respond to this because uh, this is probably a little bit unknowable at the end of the day, but it could have just been uh, people being paranoid about it, exasperated a relatively minor issue. And if NVIDIA would have nipped it in the butt quicker, maybe fewer people would have been like uh, like unplugging mm. it constantly and posting on reddit is this the early stages of melting as if that's what's going on here yeah um and when you have a person plugging something in over and over again you're just going to ru- be rubbing pieces of plastic together over and over rubbing pieces of metal over and over that could be the source of uh debris getting into the ports it could also be to bad manufacturing or something of how that uh, debris is getting into the ports and i don't know maybe there's a was a slight redesign or something or there will be a slight redesign of these adapters that they push out yeah and again so i think the way we would put it or the way i don't know maybe you'll agree or not but at least the way that i would put it is this is just an adapter that inherently has higher Again, this was a thing I dealt with working in the automotive industry is some of our next gen connectors on like some parts that had two beam had better specifications were easier to use in terms of assembly, like clicking things into place, but that the newer ports that we would use for some parts on cars, they had much more stringent manufacturing requirements that meant that we had to go to higher quality companies to make them. You can say, oh, good. It makes them higher quality. It's like. Yeah, it's just more expensive. Like just some companies don't have the to- the ability to have this level of a tolerance and you don't need this level of a tolerance for this to function properly. And is that worth the benefits you get with this newer connector? Like, and I think what we can say is that with this 16 pin is you really got to be on the top of your game for manufacturing. And there are some somewhat arguably inherent flaws in the current design of the 16 pin that dictates if, anyone's not at the top of their game when it comes to manufacturing the pin the 16 pin nor plugging it in that there's just more room for things to go wrong than with the previous gen 8 pins yeah i i think that's or a good 12 way to pins, put it. it seems you know yeah I, and you know you can say it's a, a a stupid and unnecessary feature but at the end of the day having some type of feedback especially when people are used to it Having mm-hmm. some type of audio or like mechanical feedback that tells you like that feeling what, a vibration of a yeah, click that tells you that what you did is correct and the part you have is properly seated is important. 
<laughs> I, I, and I don't think that's like an unnecessary design feature unless like mm. you're uh, doing some weird German engineering where you do that by adding 16 different parts to it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I think, yeah, having like a big robust clip that you feel go into place is important uh, uh, clearly uh, because that seems to be the primary exacerbating factor on why these things are failing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's good that an NVIDIA cl- statement, they're like saying we're going to honor all RMAs, but I, I mean, all uh, rec- RMA requests that were due to this failure, but it, it is a little funny. Just uh, th- they, they did try to just, chalk this up to well you guys are all stupid i feel like that's the usual nvidia defense um and i I would just say to the to say it's just all user error why didn't this happen with the 3090 ti and i know nvidia's answer already probably would be well the 4090 sales are tremendous you know and it's outselling all expectations so you have a higher sample size and that's at least partially true it's just we didn't see this before, so something has changed, whether they want to admit it or not. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would encourage people to like go watch the like Gamers Nexus videos. How 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 close it can be, how close it can be to plugged in with it still being insecure in its uh, port. It, it basically looks plugged in, um, and if that cord is under some tension, it can slowly become dislodged over time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think what I would say is if you have a 4090, probably the best way to when you're installing it is plug the uh, thing in first before you put it into this case and then make sure it's properly seated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's properly seated, don't keep on plugging it and checking it over and over again. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Do you, have, do you have really anything else to say about this? I think we've talked about this on every news episode for the past. I can't believe this, like three news episodes, meaning like six weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I think this kind of closes this. And I've already announced um, that I have a 4090 here. I have it plugged in. And I've just made my peace with, eh, you know, if there's an issue, I'll just say it happened to me. So now I know that this is a real thing to watch out for. But otherwise, I'm just going to make sure I plugged it in once plugged it in well and then i'm gonna assume nothing will go wrong and i would advise most people to do that not obsess over it yeah i i agree (laughs) all right so let us then move on to story number two nvidia earnings revenue beats expectations but the bottom line falls short quoting from yahoo news Graphics chip giant NVIDIA announced its quarter three earnings after the closing bell last Wednesday, beating analyst expectations on revenue, but falling short on earnings per share. Here's how the company performed compared to Wall Street's estimates as compiled by Bloomberg. In revenue, they made $5.93 billion versus the $5.79 billion expected. And in adjust earnings per share, they had 0.58 cents uh, per share versus the 70 cents expected. And in gaming revenue, they made $1.57 billion versus $1.32 billion expected. So more revenue, but pretty much everything else looks worse as far as I can tell. Uh, Besides Data Center, where they made $3.83 billion in revenue versus $3.7 billion expected. NVIDIA's quarter four 
Revenue guidance fell just short of Wall Street's expectations, coming in at $6 billion total, and analysts were hoping for $6.09 billion, so not much of a miss. And chip stocks have been hammered this year as consumers and businesses' demand for electronics has ebbed following the explosive growth the industry saw during the pandemic. Consumers don't need as many computers after buying them up during shutdowns, and companies already have uh, plenty of machines for their remote and hybrid workers. Jensen Wang, founder of in- of founder and CEO of NVIDIA said, we are quickly adapting to the macroeconomic uh, environment and correcting inventory we- <laughs> levels as we pave the way for new products. Yeah, so that's the little write-up I had here. Uh, and the other thing I would add is their margins, I believe, are going down to below 60%. So if you look at revenue, right, they made more revenue than expected, but their earnings per share are down. Mm. They're selling things at lower margins to get rid of them. This is a fact then. And yeah. they're, they're, uh, their margins are getting close to AMD. I mean, yeah. I, 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 NVIDIA kind of put itself in a, a space where they were left holding their own bag, I feel like. So where uh, instead of just selling the stock they had through, they needed to do this clever thing where they thought that the, they could inflate prices forever. And at the end of the day, the the shoe other shoe is going to drop at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's um the the other interesting thing I will add to this is I was told, and I think you don't need a source to know this; you can just probably guess. But I was told that we sh- really should expect really pretty bad earnings from Nvidia coming up here, and this is just quarter three. I actually hear that quarter four may be disastrous, mm. and it's somewhat. How do I put this? The way they're positioning and selling off things, they're almost intending to have a bad quarter three and four because they know everyone else will have a bad quarter three and four. And then they want to start trying to get all those numbers up that are below expectations in quarter one so they can say, see, we're already turning things around in 2023. That, that is what <laughs> I've heard, that they're the, the way they're moving things around is it's like, let's just not just make this seem extra bad because... There's no way we could look worse than Intel's earnings. And yeah. then if we bounce back in quarter one, then we can say we're already turning things around before everyone else is. So this is, I guess what I'm saying is this is entirely unexpected. And yeah, d- don't be surprised if quarter four is just as bad and they just kind of like move things around so that it it they they just have too bad reporting so they can report an upward trajectory moving forward. Well, yeah, and I guess this, uh, it's a good thing to point out that. So this ended in, what, September? I guess that is when stocks started getting crazy for uh, for graphics cards again, because that, I believe, was around when the mining boom ended. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I could see this month and last month, despite for good 4090 sales being really bad, at least as far as profits go, with uh, them clearing out all that Ampere stock at, uh, let's just say below optimal pricing. Yeah, it's um, it, it it's hard to say because their gross margin, you know, their is their margin's still good. I mean, they're a company that has like an average of like a fifty six or something percent margin. It's nothing mm-hmm. to sneeze at, but at the same time, I am going to be very curious to see what happens in quarter four's returns because I I just it sounds like. For some reason, people are just happy to pay five hundred dollars for a thirty seventy still, and I know that one had good margins at its MSRP, or at least not terrible. But as you watch the thirty eighty get close to seven hundred dollars or below, 
I don't know. I, I'm going to be curious to see if their margins go down again next quarter, because if they do, mm-hmm. by if they especially if they fall below AMD, then I think there's just no way around it. Then we know, like, for sure that in, you know, NVIDIA ultimate play reporting was correct. Ampere really isn't cheap to make um, for GA 102. And that will make me start going. Yeah. So I don't I think the 4080 costs is, you know, more than a 3080 to make for sure. You know, yeah. that, that's what I'm waiting to see proof of. And, and I, I guess the I, I, I don't know if they can do this at, at anymore at a certain point, but I think at a, to some extent and I don't know, it seems like they're doubling down on their expensive stuff. But like at a certain point, like I, I, this idea of having these gigantic GPUs that they make every year, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's a long term winning strategy to me. Not if they have good competition, no. no yeah, I, I mean, that's not to, like, dismiss the 4090 as a bad card, because I don't think it is. It's just, I, I don't think you can make all of your money by, <laughs> by selling 4090s and, uh, I don't know, other quote-unquote high-end cards. Right, you know, and that's a thing I'm sure we'll talk about more in this episode, but let's be very clear. The RTX 4090 8102 and you know, soon the RTX A6000, which I still don't think is quite launched if it has it just did the professional market. Mm-hmm. Like these are products that are incredibly efficient in terms of, yes, for the performance compared to last gen, this card I'm this this card here meta, that metaphorically that I'm holding, you know, this <laughs> this 4090, this is efficient in terms of last gen. But they got there by like a 10x increase in cash or something, or whatever the heck they did, or I think it was more <laughs> like 15, 20x increase. I don't even remember. You know, they got there through a ton of cash, through a ton of die space on a really expensive node. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, like it's it's efficient in terms of last gen performance, but it's like I keep saying with Apple, it's like we understand how you got there. You, you spent money, a lot of money to get there. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like it was really efficiently designed. It You just threw cash latest memory and everything else and cooling up the issue you didn't really put effort into efficiently getting there in a design perspective no i agree i I mean i think there's the fact that from a at least from a performance per watt perspective the uh lovelace is theoretically not bad even if they've decided to push it way beyond where it should be uh I, i think that speaks something to the to the design that like they can get pretty decent performance uh at way lower power usage, but still. I think of it this way. It's the same thing every time there's a new Apple release. It's like, <laughs> they over-doubled the transistors. What did you think would happen? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, or what did they, I think it's almost triple the transistors or something with this thing. Like, it, yes, NVIDIA went from 8 nanometer to 4N and ten, like 20X to the cache. Yes, it's stronger. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I just think you need to like look at the two main big competitors right now, like what they're doing. Where AMD is just has, I think, a it, it has a more hetero has a heterogeneous architecture now that allows them to make a lot smaller dies and package them together. And at the end of the day, if you're making these big ass uh, GPUs, I think that's what you need to do if you don't want your prices to balloon to $2,000. But I don't know if people keep buying stuff at uh, really high prices. Um, 
when they shouldn't. I mean, people will buy them, but... I mean, then they'll keep making them. Then they'll keep making them, yeah. (laughs) This fall, where you're trying to stay warm and avoid scary activation fees for Windows software, consider using CDKeyOffer.com. CDKeyOffer.com is a long-term sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead and its community for any time anyone in this community needs legitimate Windows keys and doesn't feel like paying excessive monopolistic licensing fees to get access to them. But that's not all they offer either. They also have great deals on PlayStation, Steam, Origin, and Uplay keys and physical products like gaming chairs and keyboards as well. They are always running sales, but make sure you use the best codes possible provided for the Moore's Laws Dead community. Use the link in the description or on screen, and then use the code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows codes or die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. This really does help Moore's Laws Dead when you use these keys and click these links, and it helps you pay reasonable prices for products that, let's face it, you just kind of need sometimes and you don't want to overpay for. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. Well, speaking of things people aren't buying at high prices, this is a perfect time then to move to story number three, RTX 4080 reviewed and reviews and early sales discussion. So I have a write-up here. On November 15th, the RTX 4080 reviews released just one day before sales started. And honestly, the reviewers were oddly mixed for something that has been so rejected by consumers. The writer, this writer though, would summarize the RTX 4080 as such. Most reviewers found the RTX 4080 to be 16 to 22% stronger than a 3090 Ti raster, maybe 25 to 40% stronger when you turn on heavy ray tracing with it. However, when pushed hard with ray tracing, the 4090 then begins to lead the 4080 by 35 to 40%, while also offering 50% more VRAM, only costing 33% more, at least in terms of MSRP to MSRP. Yes, the RTX 4080 was efficient and rarely used even 300 watts in heavily demanding games, but that's really not that unsurprising in this reader's perspective when you're considering it's only utilizing a 379 millimeter square die. So what is that, something about 10% bigger than a 6700 XT, guys? And it's using a 4N node. This adds further credence to Moore's Law's dead leaks, leaked info that NVIDIA was initially intending to push their Lovelace lineup much harder in power consumption and then back down at the last minute. Yet, still, even at 300 watts or less of power consumption on average, existing RTX 4080s on sale require monstrously huge cases to fit their coolers and the use of a cumbersome and unnecessary 16-pin connector. And we must say that those 4080s really are existing on store shelves, as leaked by Moore's Law is dead and covered by other people over the weekend. The 4080 had significantly less stock shipped than the 4090. Moore's Law is dead when estimated as below 50%, with other people reporting as little as a fourth the shipments as the 4090. And yet, it remained in stock on Newegg for days. Sold horrifically at micro centers and overseas retailers this reader reached out to. And in fact, some micro center locations gain stock on day one because they usually receive about a fourth to a third of their stock in the afternoon. They received more cards than they had sold in the morning. And so to this day, the RTX 4080 remains easy to get in many, if not all countries it's being sold in. And thus there is no way around it. Though some reviewers said good things about the 4080, curiously, consumers have entirely rejected this card in a way not seen since 
Well, it's hard for me to honestly remember a launch that went this badly relative to the number of cards shipped. Make no mistake, any good review of this card seems to have completely missed the tone of the community who is rejecting it, and NVIDIA clearly shipped less cards so that it would sell out easily, and yet it didn't, which is shocking. All right, so wherever you want to start, Dan, what did you think about the 4080 performance, how it was reviewed, and then we can get into sales maybe? Uh, performance it's like i i don't even know how much there is to say about it it's a bit stronger than the 3090 ti it's it's like yada 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 it's about it scales linearly price performance pretty much with the 4090 despite also having less ram and also starting to fall short of the 4090 when it comes to ray tracing so with all that in mind i don't know if they would have sold it for like nine hundred dollars to a thousand dollars i don't think you would have had a bunch of rejection from the community but it is what it is they're trying to get away with selling this for twelve hundred dollars and no one wants it for twelve hundred dollars and it also is needlessly cumbersome in its size because they wanted to put or not wanted to but were considering pushing this thing to i don't know 400 watts (laughs) i'd say well it's hard. If, if you're going to make the 4090 450 watts, and then you're going to have the the 4080 use the same coolers, the 3090 only used about 10% more energy than the 3080. So, yeah, I would assume at least 375 or 400 probably. Yeah. A- and now you have this card that, like, from today's perspective, especially for an 80-class card, it's, like, weirdly power efficient, where it rarely goes over, like, 300 watts, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Yet for some reason, it's using this monstrous like it's it's using the uh, three slot uh, cooler, right? Or is it two and a half for the slot? Founders Edition? The same three slot Founders Edition yeah. as the forty ninety, yeah. And it's you you could have thrown like a thirty seventy cooler on this thing, almost. I think, right? <laughs> well, or you know, a- as I leaked the. 4070, at least in Mm -hmm. NVIDIA's test labs right now, has what I would describe as a more compact 3080 cooler, but the fan, just like with the 4090 compared to the 3090, the fans bulge out more and take Mm -hmm. up more as much space as like literally possible in its footprint. (laughs) So you're talking about a cooler that's somewhat comparable in size to a 3070 Ti, and yet probably cools better than a 3080 ti's two slot cooler and is so yeah i mean you're you're talking about something that should have easily been able to cool 350 watts only takes up two slots i don't know why they would not have used the 4070 cooler i leaked over that i I don't know yeah and i mean you do get benefits from having that i suppose like i bet the 4080 is really quiet (laughs) i doubt it's gonna be using those fans very much but I, i i think you just want to have an option and it tends to be the founders option or not founders, the reference designs that uh, where you get something that I, I think just can fit into a case. And now that is being thrown to AIBs and I doubt any of them are going to answer that call. So we're just going to have a bunch of 4080s that uh, all you have is great thermals being advertised, which aren't going to get you that much uh, because it seems like the founders editions mm-hmm. pretty easily get to like what 2.8 gigahertz or something. Right. Yeah. That's so like, cool. I'm the ASUS Strix model is going to be, I don't know what 14, $1,500 probably get you slightly better thermal. So you can push that three, 2.8 to what 2.85 gigahertz or something. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And you know, it's interesting. I saw 
a lot of people saying, well, well, let's, and this is, again, you, you can have this opinion. It's your opinion. If you're, but I've seen this opinion a lot. You know, this card isn't bad. It's really efficient. It just costs too much. And my opinion is it uses 16 pin power, power connectors. It does not need to use. And it's too big to fit in most cases, which is absurd considering it doesn't really bring you more performance than last-gen flagships. It doesn't bring you more RAM than last-gen flagships. I really think the card kind of sucks. Like, I saw someone in the comments, I responded to them, say something like, you know, if it was $500, everyone would love it. And I said, yeah, but it can't cost $500. It costs more to make than a 3080. You know what would have also been awesome? If the 6500 XT was... Ninety dollars, because that's actually about the same price difference to two hundred is uh, five hundred to twelve hundred. And you want to know what else? Even if you make the sixty five hundred XT ninety dollars, it still can only have two display ports, and it still has a small amount of video RAM. So just like that with the forty eighty, doesn't matter what price you make it, it will always be too big and have unnecessary connectors. And I, even if it was eight hundred dollars, the thirty ninety is selling used with more RAM for seven hundred on eBay. And the 6800 XT is going for less than 550 with the same amount of RAM. Even aligning $550 to $800 in price performance, the 6800 XT is kind of better price performance than a 4080 at two-thirds its MSRP. This is yeah. way, way beyond it costs too much. It costs way more than it should, and it still is too big, even if it was the right price. But the right price is probably just shockingly lower than it is now this is beyond it's a bit too expensive you know the 3070 ti was a bit too expensive the 3070 ti didn't cost 800 dollars. yeah i i think the 4080 its sole function is to either say screw it and people get a 4090 or say screw it and people get a, a used nvidia card or like a new rdna2 card or the 7900 xtx when that comes out and, mm-hmm. and i it's just this weird card that no one should buy even at at a lower price uh, i think there would be people that are like well sure it's too big uh, but i'll just put up with that but it's still a stupidly designed card even if its build quality is good i guess which that's that's a weird thing to Content that keeps being highlighted, I feel like, because build quality has just improved over time. And mm-hmm. as time goes on, it's getting more and less and less of a build quality being a pro and more if it's poorly built, it's a con that you highlight. You know yeah, what like, I mean? Like I have this uh, that I've used, been using for a while before the 4090 came in, which I'll get into why in the review. But I have this RTX 3050 here, which I wouldn't say is particularly amazing build quality. But I can say it probably feels like nicer build quality than even like aftermarket 7970s from a decade ago. And this is a budget graphics card, you know? So like we just expect things to have good build quality, especially if it's over $700. It's everything is good build quality above $700 now, pretty much. So I know what your point is. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and I also don't get the perspective of like, well, if it were $500, this would get good reviews. And then it would be like, well, yeah, because if it were $500, then it would be being sold next to what? The, the 6800 or something? Or, yeah, no. the 6800 XT, which is $535 new on Newegg. So, yeah, so even then, it's almost like, hmm. It's not as shocking as you think, though, in terms of price performance advantage. It's like 40% better at less than half its MSRP. It's not even like twice the value of what would be next to it. 
Yeah, it's just such a weird thing. It's like, yeah, it also people would have been praising the 4090 more if it sold for $800. And it's like, yeah, but it, they can't not, afford to sell for it's $800. It's not going to sell for $800. So I don't know why we're talking about this. It'll sell for $800 maybe in 2024. I mean, that's how the market's working now. Now, even then, I don't know if it will, but <laughs> that's, that's just a hypothetical. It's just the the hypothetical of well if it did this it would be better reviewed and it's like yeah that's kind of the entire space where the entire space is at right now where the thing that matters is price performance for things that it's close to and you're comparing uh you know how well things perform versus how much they cost anything outside of that analysis doesn't make that much sense to me because Mm-hmm. everything is m- going to be more or less good build quality like yeah if the if rdna3 comes out and it's like loud and has a bunch of coil wine or something all right then people will complain about that <laughs> but i i doubt mm-hmm. we're going to see that yeah as a 2.5 slot cooler for 355 watts i i think it's gonna be pretty goddamn quiet yeah <laughs> Yeah, and so I just want to be clear. I don't just think making the price lower would have fixed everything. Obviously, if they made it like the lowest I could see it is eight hundred. If they made it eight hundred dollars, then this would have probably sold out. But keep in mind, they shipped a like a fourth to half as many cards as the forty ninety. So you would hope it would be able to sell out if it was reasonable. And what this really should have been, it should have used the fastest GDR six X on the market, which doesn't quite. It should have used um, a the full 8103 die and been pushed up in clock speed with a 350-watt TDP. So I'm saying the faster memory, the TDP, the full die and clock speeds, that would have probably given it another 10% performance. So it's, you know, maybe within 20% of the 4090 like it should be. And then it should have used a two-slot cooler and been like $900. If you would have made this thing smaller, 10% more performance, so it's respectable, and you know just yeah i mean i mean and and actually hit the performance level you'd expect out of something you call an 80 then i I think we'd be talking but i don't think it's just the price i think there really are several drawbacks that involve size and you know everything else that it just still would need to be addressed yeah i i I just think people are willing to overlook those if something is a decent price performance um and you know if it were eight or nine hundred dollars i think i think it would generally be fine Mm -hmm. i guess is the way to put it eight hundred dollars i think that's starting to peek into like well this is pretty notable price performance at that point but nine hundred dollars it's like this is kind of just the expectation you set in video when you launch the 4090 well so let's just move this forward then the sales because i think I think me and you are were genuinely surprised how badly this was selling. I didn't expect it to. I, I'll, I'll be honest. What I expected was for it to stay in stock at most as long as the forty ninety because they ship so many less. And I'm just so used to people buying things that I think are horrible price performance for years, year after yeah. year. People just buy these products, or I'm like, why the heck are you buying this? This makes no sense. And this time they just flat out didn't. They're like. It was like worse than what I heard about the 7600X. People were going into, like, who worked at micro centers were just having customers like, I'm not getting that card. <laughs> like, in, like insulted that you would suggest they buy it. But what do you have to 
say about how bad these sales are? Uh, I, I mean, it's good to see. It, it's good to see that there's a limit, I guess, to what people uh, are willing to buy. Or it's like, oh, finally, people have just outright, outright and obviously rejected a product that's just terribly priced. You know what I mean? Where. Mm-hmm. Usually, like, the narrative is hard to ta- discuss, and it's just, here it's so clear as day. It took, like, a couple days to sell out on Newegg. It's, I'm not sure, if, as of recording, if it's still in stock at Micro Centers, but... Um, I checked, at least before, right before the recording, okay. and the one in Chicago we've been to, yeah, it's still in stock. Okay, so it's still in stock at uh, Micro Centers. And I mean, Centers. like, dozens of them in stock. I've seen it still in stock at MSRP, or at least as of a couple of days ago, it was in stock in like a UK distri- online distributors. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, this isn't doing well. Uh, <laughs> I, and beyond that, I, I, I don't know. I think it's good that nobody's buying it. Right. And I put out a video on Friday talking about just how bad the sales were, which I was just saving that to be like its own story in this broken silicon. But I thought, you know, it's so bad. I have to talk about this as its own piece of content. I really think what it comes down to is we've learned the limits of what people will pay for anything besides at least what's perceived as the gaming flagship. Because, you know, I used to rub it in people's faces. They would say, well, you know, I got a Titan Pascal because I want the best gaming card. And I'd say, well, you don't have Volta, so you don't, loser, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm right. Like, I know Volta costs. They'd be like, well, that doesn't count. I'm like, why doesn't it count? I don't understand. Like Volta is like, what is it, like 15 to 30 percent stronger than Titan Pascal? And yes, it costs over twice as much. How is that any different than the difference between Vega and the Titan? pascal where it's like 30 percent better for over double the price you guys (laughs) so like how is this not the same situation but at least it was perceived right and it was perceived that the 2080 ti was the gaming flagship even though pine rtx had over double the ram and actually was a pretty firm eight to ten twelve percent stronger because it had a bigger bus like you know at least it was perceived that the 2080 ti was the top gaming card so people were willing to pay over a thousand without thinking about it And the same for the 4090. But I guess if it's not perceived as the top card, uh, you know, they're not they're not spending over a thousand because the second you get over a thousand, I and I said this in the video, I thought before maybe it'd be six hundred, then seven hundred, then eight hundred. What we learned is one thousand dollars is the round number where people put enough thought into this where there's no one buying a card for over a thousand that hasn't spent at least fifteen minutes of research. And Mm -hmm. if they have they would have seen the specs difference between the 4090 and the 4080. And I think what we're learning is as much as we know, NVIDIA wants Titans to be two to 3000 and they want the eighties to get to a thousand dollars. I just think that's going to be hard for them to do moving forward until we get well into like future inflation or something. Maybe that'll change then, but yeah, it's going to be hard for NVIDIA to charge more than a thousand dollars for almost everything. besides the flagship. I don't think people, per- yeah, like you said, I, I don't think people, and AMD has cultivated this now for a while, people don't see the 80 as the like flagship product that you spend more than $1,000 on, so people are just going to reject it when they see that, unless it's like, I, I mean, you at least have to add the like TI moniker to try to push it over $1,000, and sure, I, I, I guess I don't know how well the 3080 TI really sold, but I don't know. It, it, Not very well. It was hard for them to get rid of it. That thing got huge price drops before the 3080. So more evidence that if it's over a thousand and it's not the best, they don't want it. Yeah, because if you're spending, 
If you're spending over $1,000 on a graphics card, I have to assume you're spending at least, what, $2,500? On the total PC. Yeah, probably closer to three grand. And at that point, it's like, what's another? You're adding, what, 10 to 15% to the price to get 30%? 20 to mm-hmm. 30% more performance, you might as well. And, right. and if you're not going to do that, either go to the next tier of performance lower and get like a 6800 XT or like look for a U or look for like a 3090 or 3090 Ti uh, nice. on sale. Although I like to new, like don't buy them new because of course <laughs> pricing for old stuff is out of whack right now. But on the used market, I'm sure you can, you can get them for like yeah. 800 bucks now. You can. And yeah, so I think it's just an interesting reality we're in where, you know, we have to admit it, NVIDIA wins. They have been successful in making the flagships cost over 1500 I think from now on, NVIDIA flagships will always cost 1500 to $2,500. Mm-hmm. You know, they just will. But we might get into a situation where <laughs> the 5090 is like two grand and the 5080 is 800 or 900 And mm-hmm. I guess that's just the limits of the 80. We found the limits of the flagship. People have trouble spending over two grand. And it's about a grand for the 80. <laughs> and then the next question is, when will they try to introduce a 90 and a Titan at the same time? <laughs> yeah, well, they, you know, as I may leak later this year, I have, guys, I just have proof of what happened with the Titan that I've already leaked. And <laughs> you've, you've seen the proof, Dan. They... They were uh, they were going to do that, <laughs> <laughs> but for a few reasons, I'd like to like save for like a fun holiday video. They didn't. Um, mm-hmm. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's move on to a much more reasonably priced set of products in story number four. So AMD releases more RDNA three info. Will they beat the forty eighty? All right. So last week, AMD released a flurry of RDNA three info that allowed us to finally conclude the following: number one. The RX 7900 XTX is clearly 50 to 65% better than the 6950 XT. They gave firm numbers on specific game benchmarks that I could compare to other websites with the same settings, by the way, and they matched up. And therefore, you should expect the 7900 XTX to be 70 to 80% better than a 6900 XT in raster. And this is before considering models that may push power beyond 355 watts. So I think AMD is getting... You were to push the clock speeds to roughly double the performances leaked. And then in ray tracing, the 7900 XTX actually brings around double the performance in real games with ray tracing and FSR on. Uh, I think they said 80% higher ray tracing performance at 2.5 gigahertz. They had examples of games I saw with FSR on hitting plus 82 to 85% or something higher performance than the 6950 XT. So yeah, ray tracing is getting close to double as well. But that's the good news, the bad news. There's no way around it with point number three. The 7900 XTX should come within about 10 to 15% of the 4090 in raster and beat the 4080 by a solid 30%, but it's going to get destroyed in ray tracing by the 4090. And there's going to be games where the 4080 beats the 7900 XTX, and it probably will beat it in average with ray tracing, although certainly not raster. Also, and finally... It should be emphasized that the RX 7900 XTX should have a bomb cost similar or lower than the RTX 4080 as AMD also gave more information about how much cheaper it was to produce the 7900 XTX in the way it is with chiplets versus monolithic. And uh, yeah, so I guess it just seems like NVIDIA will keep the performance crown for now, but that it won't be by much in raster and that this has only been achieved by making incredibly expensive designs. 
Um, yeah. So again, uh, I, you know, 7900 XTX is going to beat the 4080. It's going to lose to the 4090 by maybe a tier, not even quite a tier of performance. It's going to be close, uh, close enough that it will probably win in some games in raster. Mm-hmm. And even the 7900 XT should trade blows or maybe even slightly beat on average the 4080. But in ray tracing, NVIDIA is still king. But AMD's designs really do cost less to make. Dan, what do you think about this news AMD put out right before the 4080 was launched? Uh, I, I mean... The 4090, uh, people are uh, are going to go to the 4090 still when they just want unhindered performance or that's all they care about. Uh, and, you know, AMD undercut both designs they put out by uh, $600 and $200 with the 4080. Uh, I, I, I still think the 4080, I mean, the 7900 XTX clearly looks like a more appealing thing appealing than the 4080 uh, it has more ram will have better rasterization performance cost 200 dollars less and probably get around the same ray tracing performance i think i i think for the top and without amd just outright be taking the performance crown this is like honestly maybe a better scenario uh for mm. people that don't want to spend 1600 dollars on a graphics card you know that's yeah, an like, interesting point, you know, because like, what's the alternative? Like AMD pushes this thing to 450 watts, makes it 20% stronger, beats the 4090 and raster by like 5%, 5% loses ray tracing by like 40%, and then, and then tries to, to charge 1500. Like, is that yeah. really better? Or I would probably go with 1400. St- and even yeah. still, no, because I think the 4090 still probably looks like a better card at the, <laughs> with with all of that yeah. in mind. Um, but at a thousand dollars, like I, AMD is still the budget people. Like it's, they, they still need to have better price performance for everything to sell. And what they did is they're giving you a little worse than 4090 raster performance for like 60% the cost or yeah. Uh, a a little less. I, I not, don't feel like doing that math right now. Um, and it's going to have better performance than the thing it's in price aligned with at the 4080. Uh, and it's probably going to be the same raster performance. I mean, the same uh, ray tracing performance as the 4080, maybe a little worse, maybe a little better. I I, I don't think we can really say anything until I think it actually in comes Nvidia, out. Like in, in extreme scenarios, like cyberpunk, the 4080 will beat the mm-hmm. 7900 XTX. I think so, but that's extreme scenarios. There could be games where it wins by a little bit or trades blows, you know, and if the 7900 XTX were priced at $1,200 instead of $1,000, well, then the conversation might become more difficult where it's like, eh, I, I mean, in a world where ray tracing is getting to a point where I think it's almost as important as raster performance. Um, and you don't mean it literally as you're just saying I, I'm raster talking is so relative. easy yeah. to run. And, and I'm talking about advertised frame rates with those features enabled because we don't have many cases where we're just testing raw ray tracing uh, only ray tracing performance everything is hybrid pretty much at this point Mm -hmm. um but if that were the case it'd be like eh, i think it still leans to the 7900 xtx but now they kind of just have two stupid cards on the market um but at a thousand dollars it's i just don't think it's really a debate over which card you would get right now unless 
the results we're seeing are the most cherry picked by <laughs> yeah. AMD we've ever seen. <laughs> Which I think is highly unlikely. And I've seen people, uh, not many, but a couple people in the comments say, these are AMD's numbers. Why can we trust them? And I'm like, well, no one's telling you to bet your firstborn on them being 100. But <laughs> what we've seen from AMD's graphics card launches in the past is the numbers they show are pretty close to the averages you get. So yeah. I think it's fair to say that if you average what AMD showed, I don't know. You can expect the 7900 XDX to be 55 to 65% stronger than, because they said up to, so it's like 55 to 65% stronger than a uh, 79, a 6950 yeah. XT. And at that point, you're looking at something that it's, look, guys, it's going to be within 10 to 20%, probably a little over 10% within the 4090. And it's probably going to be the 4080 in Raster by like 30%. And it's cheaper. I mean, I think if the 4080 was the same price, unless, again, we find out something crazy on review day, I think if the 4080 was the same price as a 7900 XT, you would say, well, they both use about the same amount of power, but one of them's bigger, one of them has less RAM, one of them probably loses raster by a little, but it wins ray tracing by a lot. You could compare the 7900 XT to the 4080 pretty fairly. But the fact mm -hmm. that AMD's made it 900, and then something that's going to demolish the 4080 and raster, a thousand makes this just a non-conversation you know i really yeah. think that the 7900 xt is what the 4080 should have been overall yeah i agree and, and i do think on when review day comes the i think the 7900 xt is going to be interesting to look at in particular because i'm not sure if i'm not sure yet if the 7900 xt is going to be a good card in its own right or if the 7900 xtx just kind of makes it look stupid with only a mm. hundred dollars more uh in price i mean i i don't have it next to me but i did the math and if well i mean this isn't that hard to look at though if <laughs> i you know pull up the numbers amd put out which are pretty specific and then i just you know get out a calculator app here quick i mean let me just what's the smallest one i can find just eyeballing it here yeah so like 139 divided by 117 so that's 18 percent better and the biggest difference kind of looks like, so I think I, I've just been in shorthand doing the math. It's going to be about 20% better. So it's 20% better and it costs 15% more. Okay. I mean, I guess that's worse price performance, but like also they're both such overkill for 4k. I guess I could see why you might go for $900 though. And it has 20 yeah, gigabytes that's of Ram. True. That's more than enough Ram. Um, actually, you know, that's just, I, I just, though. I, I, I think the 7900 XT would probably, which I know we're undercut, uh, you could say we're undercutting previous points we've made in this podcast, but I think the 7900 XT might make more sense at like 850 or something. That versus but here's the interesting thing though. If I look at ray tracing, the difference becomes closer to about 12%. So I think what AMD was thinking is with ray tracing on, it's less than 15% away with raster only, it's about 20. That's probably why they made it 15% apart. Okay. I mean, I, we'll see on review day. Maybe it won't, won't be as bad looking as it potentially could be, but I, I think at least reviews are going to highlight the price difference oh, they will. <laughs> yeah, you might as well go for the 7900 xtx i'm not arguing against that yeah, i'm yeah. just saying it's it's kind of like and you know people said the same thing about the 6800 xt and the 6800 with rdna2 and i went yeah but one of them still gets you a ton of ram and 
I mean, it's going to do 4K 60 easy. Yeah, so that's true, I suppose. I, I, th- th- that's how I think about it. Is it's like, well, but I mean, if you're not going to use, you know, I don't know, with the ray tracing, it's like 10% apart and you still have 20 gigabytes of RAM. I don't know. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I mean, I, I think both probably look better than the 4080. But <laughs> Oh, for sure. But the one thing I will say is I'm not going to hide from this. Uh, I agree with what I've seen some people say. I think it if they were going to if they were going to get an A plus, uh, you know, and how they're executing this launch for me, they would have had to have done something, maybe among other things, but especially this should be eight hundred dollars and be called the seventy eight hundred XT, and the other one should just be called the seventy nine hundred XT. Come on, Andy, yeah. you didn't even raise I, I mean, the price. Call it the seventy nine hundred XT. Call this the seventy eight hundred XT. What are you doing? I, I mean, that's my opinion. I, I agree. I think it's less bad than the. 16 versus 12 gigabyte debacle but uh, oh, for I, sure it's not I even think, comparable i think to the untrained eye you could some person could see be like well their names are actually more similar technically <laughs> you know what i yes. mean yes uh but uh just uh, highlighting only a difference in ram implies that they're the same product aside from aside from the ram mm-hmm yeah, so that's all I would say is it's not a uh, this. I think I I'm gonna agree with what people will say is might as well get the 7900 XTX. But I can make the argument for why if there's a 7900 XT and it's a hundred dollars less, you shouldn't sweat it if you got that instead. Mm-hmm. I'd also point this out to people that I don't think they're gonna make many of those. It's a 308 millimeter squared five nan- five nanometer die. Five nanometer is better yields than seven. I don't think they're gonna make that many 7900 XTs. I think. That the reason that the price is close is they know they don't need to make many of them, just like the sixty-eight hundred. Well, yeah, and they know. I mean, they know at the price what the price they're putting it at that a lot of people are just going to get the XTX instead. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else to say about this. You know, at the end of the day, the seventy-nine hundred is XT is going to be what we wanted out of the 4080. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It's worse ray tracing the 4080, but it's a little better raster, more RAM, and the price it should have been. So, whatever. Same power consumption, too. And the 7900 XTX is just the XTX. It's the slightly better version that, if you have the extra money and you're really going to push games extra hard, get that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to point out, though, is I do have a link in the description here that apparently... In their endnotes, there was a reference to efficiency against the 4090 that they removed last minute. Now, there's two theories going around about why AMD removed a slide comparing efficiency. Number one is that they might not think they're actually going to beat Lovelace in efficiency. But number two is it might have been a last minute decision to not compare their cards to the 4090 at all. Hmm. And it's probably a bit of both, both if I had to guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we talked about that before. Like... From a, a, a marketing perspective, I don't know why you they would add uh, show it against the forty ninety because you're just kind of set showing. Look at we can't match the our uh, competitors in performance. Now, obviously, you can highlight how much cheaper it is, and I think that's from like a a consumer standpoint, obviously a thing you could should consider. But I just don't think. Uh, marketers would be a marketing team would be like let's highlight how we're worse than our competitor the entire time yeah that was something techia city really got stuck on talking about a lot is like why don't they just compare to the 4090 and i said i don't know if you've seen modern marketing but like people don't compare their products to things they lose to anymore they used to do that they don't now 
And the uh, objectively, I have to say, why would they? Look, this thing costs $200 less than a 4080. Why would you compare it to a 4090? From a marketer's perspective, if on review day, most of the reviews say basically a 4090, good. But you let them make the comparison yeah. and do the marketing for you. And if you compare it to a 4080, they're more likely to do that than to say it loses to the 4090. Yeah, if they're going to compare it to something from NVIDIA, Right now, it would be a 39, well, not right now. Previously, I think it would have been a 3090 Ti, which I, I, I don't think there's really any, that's any better or worse than comparing it to a 6950 XT. Uh, or they compare it to mm. a f- now, or, or we go to now, they should compare it to, from a marketing perspective, a 4080. <laughs> and, and let me point this out too, when it comes to like, why it's been a little weird how but with some of the performance stuff is I keep hearing that like validations being pushed back to the last minute. I, I don't know how firm the numbers really are. Don't be surprised if like final slides come out in like two weeks from now and they're like 5% better than what we've seen actually or a little different because I, I don't think they're completely done validating these dies with AIPs. <laughs> so I, I think some of this, it's not estimations. I'm sure they pulled it out of a real test unit, mm-hmm. but I don't think they have a lot of them in mass ma- validation. So th- that's another reason why some of the numbers are weird. But, um, oh, and, and one more thing. Um, I would, I do think that there's a reason that they're not comparing it to the 4090's efficiency as well, is they know that the 4090 while actually gaming is, and I've found this testing it myself, insanely efficient, just like the 4080, which hello, it's using the most expensive node and it's a giant die. It should be. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, if they argue they're more efficient than the 4090, which I would say overall they will be probably for most people if you don't cap the TDP or whatever, like I am with my 4090, um, NVIDIA could just hit back with ray tracing on where twice as efficient as AMD. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> and you don't want to give NVIDIA that opening to do that yeah like amd's line we're actually more efficient in the latest games you know so yeah maybe in last gen games they're more efficient but you buy nvidia for next gen that's the geforce experience and the jensen promise or you know whatever yeah no one would dare play CSGO on a 4090 no one absolutely not um tmc paint writes in and he says with rdna3 being amd's first multi-die gaming gpu architecture is it possible that amd chose not to push up the tdp because performance wouldn't scale as much due to a fabric bottleneck or die interconnect latency issue. With Zen 2, pushing the core clocks faster barely increased performance due to fabric bottlenecks. Could RDNA 3 exhibit the same behaviors? Is that maybe why they didn't push it to 3 gigahertz at stock? Of course, you already mentioned the thermal expansion problems could be a thing as well. Yeah, right. So if you're cooling a 6 nanometer mm-hmm. die and a 5 nanometer die, thermal expansion will be a little different. Um, you know, here's what I'll say, TMC Payton. I asked about this. Um, and there's actually a part of my 7900 XTX performance analysis portion of that 4080 review video uh, that I, I cut it because I just don't feel like I have enough input or enough details from the people who have given me input to double down on this yet. But so far, people I've talked to at AMD think the clock speed th- flaw rumor is bullshit. Like I've literally mm. had someone at AMD say, that's bullshit. So... The problem is this, though. Not everyone at AMD knows everything about an architecture and the decisions that went into positioning. So if you're listening to this, and I, I suppose you are if you're hearing me say it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
don't put down Tom says the clock speed thing is bullshit. Because I'm not saying it necessarily is. I would have done a video if I was 100% sure. But what I would say is let's just not double down on how RDNA 3 scales at high clock speeds in TDP yet. Yeah, and I, I, uh, this is one of those things that I think is more worth talking about once reviews are out, where like if... Mm like debauer gets it to like three gigahertz and or, or doesn't increase performance then there's a conversation to be had <laughs> yeah and, and and to be clear my suspicion and remember there were people i talked to at amd literally someone i talked to at amd said he didn't think rdna3 could have DisplayPort 2.1 mm-hmm. and you just go you know but that's wrong and it's like but why would he know that he doesn't work on that part of the architecture <laughs> you know so just that's why i'm not doubling down on any clock speed thing yet but my, it's especially because I think if AMD could have gained 20% performance by using 24 gigabit per second memory and three gigahertz clocks on a stock product, they would have. Mm-hmm. Like, why not do that? Um, even if it hits 400 watts or something. But at the same time, I'm told that there probably isn't some big flaw. So my suggestion would be if we should expect the reality of RDNA 3 scaling at high clock speeds to be in the middle. I wouldn't say there's probably a fatal flaw. I bet you gain more performance at high clock speeds, but there has to be a reason AMD didn't go to 375 watts, which I kind of heard they were going to, mm-hmm. right? You know, so it's in the middle. I think what we're going to see is some AIB models, if they nail the cooling and give it the fastest memory, do get a decent increase, um, but it's not going to be until AMD really looks at holistically everything going on with their top dies performance in the wild that they decide how to position the 7950 XTX it should come with a stacked infinity cache or not. And then that's how they push that extra 20% to like double performance or something. I, mm-hmm. I, it, it's probably in the middle, the reality, but there has to be a reason they didn't push it out of the gate like this. Um, Lorez Gamer writes and he says, hi, Tom and Dan. It's unfortunate that new graphics cards this year are still running PCIe 4.016 rather than PCIe 5.0 times eight. In my opinion, both have roughly the same bandwidth, but 5.0 times 8 would allow motherboards to repurpose eight of their PCIe graphics lanes on new motherboards for storage, video capture, or some other sort of acceleration in another PCIe slot. Do you see GPU manufacturers ever going to a system where they build their top cards with, say, PCIe 5.0 times 8 or 6.0 times 8 instead of going with 16 lanes of a previous gen PCIe? Or is it because of user perception that 16 is better than 8 or uh, because they want to market 8K cards? Well, most people don't. I'd say most people building high-end systems now do a 4.0. But if they go with 5.0 times 8, you need Alder Lake or Zen 4 or better. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I think Rocket Lake had Rocket Lake actually had 4. So you need Rocket Lake or Zen 4 or better. There's going to be plenty of people that have Zen Plus CPUs or more likely like a 10900k not most people buying these cards i would actually argue at this point but plenty enough people that i think especially when it comes to like navi 32 i bet there's a lot of people that will still have like a comet lake system and get navi 30 like a 7700 xt if you give them eight lanes they might have a decent performance drop with a pcie 3.0 system and so oh yeah they would so why do that and i just think you have to look at like what are the majority of people on at this point, it's probably 4.0, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I uh, I get the the idea, but most people are probably on 4.0. I mean, I guess you could say like, I don't know, everybody getting a 4090 probably has a new system, but uh, I see a lot of crap on forums of people asking 
can I get a 4090 if I have like a, I don't like 9,900 K or something like that. <laughs> and yeah, you can, you can. <laughs> and it depending on how hard you push, they'll probably run it fine. I'd recommend maybe getting a new system, but then again, though, they might not want to right away. They might want to get a 4090 and then wait for Zen 4 to come down in price, which will has. We'll get to that yeah. later. Um, and then that's when they're going to upgrade. It would suck if they got it and they lost 10, 20% performance for no reason, mm-hmm. uh, for not a good enough, good reason. And I think the reason this comes up, though, as well is I was told they were using 5.0 on RDNA 3, and I am surprised they didn't. Something clearly happened. Kind of like with a last minute cost cutting thing where they decided it just wasn't worth it. I guess. I I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It is weird to me that so many people said five point that I talked to. Everything else was right and that changed. Um, but when those rumors were going around, not just for me, but from other leakers that it had five point RDNA three, you know, people were hoping they could get a Raptor Lake system that has five and use eight of those lanes for a Gen five SSD. And I guess now they can't mm-hmm. without some performance loss. And I don't know what to tell you guys. You know, I guess if anything, this should give you solace. At least Dave Eggleston, who was recently on, couldn't really see how 5.0 is really necessary for gaming anyway. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to imagine that's the <laughs> that was the analysis they had as well. Will this give us literally any benefit in performance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much more will it cost and will it cause issues? Probably. All right. TMC Payton writes in and says, howdy. In retrospect, does AMD now believe that the massive gap between Navi 21 and Navi 22 was a bad move? Navi 21 had 80 compute units and Navi 22 had 40 compute units. To me, that's almost comical. AMD seems like they never wanted to make ARC 6800s either with 25% less CUs to finish the gap. And the RTX 3070, 3070 Ti and 10GB 3080 seem to sell much better in the void anyways. Thanks. Well, TMC Payton, thank you for writing in, but... Navi 22 had 75% the bus in infinity cache of Navi 21. So I don't actually see your point. I know it had half the compute units, but it was clocked faster than Navi 21 and had most of the bandwidth in cache. And die size, teraflops, bandwidth cache, these are all just levers you can pull to configure different dies based on how much you want them to cost. And AMD thought it was the right balance to focus on most of the bandwidth and two-thirds or less of the compute. And now with Navi 32 versus Navi 31, it seems like you go from 256-bit to 384-bit, and you go from 64 megabytes, according to Angstronomics, to 96 megabytes in Navi 31, then you're getting 50% more cash and bandwidth with Navi 31 over 32. But now you're not, I believe, getting 50% more compute. And that's just how they balance things. Yeah, and I, I think from just a a perspective of like the performance you got out of the, I I mean the performance are, are from the tiers of cards they were able to get out of Navi twenty one and twenty two. I don't think from that perspective there was like some big gulf in performance at, at any point that like made it obvious that there was some co- configuration missing. I mean, I guess you could argue the jump from like the 6700 XT to the 6800 XT was relatively wide considering the 6800 didn't sell that many. But I don't know. I I kind of find that less exhausting than having 97 SKUs uh, at the above $500 mark like there is with NVIDIA where how many freaking 80 cards did NVIDIA launch that had barely different performance? I I, I think yeah. spacing your cards, I don't know. 
10 to 20% in performance is a good, uh, it, it is a good sectioning of your, uh, of your product stack. By the way, I have to say, I stand corrected. Huh. The difference in computer is pretty similar to the difference in bandwidth. Actually, I'm looking at <laughs> the Navi 32 number of compute units, uh, according to Angstronomics. And for some reason, I thought I was probably thinking of it in terms of 10,000 divided by 700 and 680. Mm-hmm. No, it's actually a bigger one than, well, I guess it's not double though. So I guess the point still stands, but yeah. I mean, how do I could, put this? I, now, my point still stands. I just want to be clear that it's not like one of them's double versus the other one. Now, before they had thirty-three percent more bandwidth and cash, half the compute units. Now they have not double the compute units, moving up to thirty-one, but sixty percent more and fifty percent more, you know, mm-hmm. cash and bandwidth. So it is more balanced, you might argue, this time. But Navi twenty-two worked out well, and as far as we can tell, the total die size of Navi 32 is pretty similar to the total die size of Navi 22. And it all seems mm. relatively similar anyway. So, you know, <laughs> there's just multiple yeah. ways to skin a cat guys. There's multiple ways to spend resources to get to a final die size. Die sizes between 22 and 32 will be similar. Performance differences to 31 and 21 will probably be similar, but this time there's not half the compute, just two thirds. Mm-hmm. Um, Yuma writes in greetings. I'm currently curious as to how power efficient Navi 33 will be. My understanding is that using chiplets on the higher end chip has a power cost. So I'm curious if Navi 33 will be a performance per watt king. Well, remember though, Navi 33 also uses all six nanometer. Um, and AMD at least claims there's negligible power losses with the way they've organized the chiplets, which if that's true, okay, very impressive AMD, but there has to be <laughs> some penalty, I would say. Um, my guess is just expect it to kind of scale similarly in efficiency to Navi 31. It's now all monolithic. There's a bonus, but now it's all six nanometer. There's a negative. That That's yeah. kind of what I'm expecting. Yeah, I, I was going to say something about, about it being all five nanometer, but I forgot that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad the comments would have attacked you, Dan. Well, I'm opening myself up for attack now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad I also corrected myself on the compute unit difference. But uh, Beefish writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. I had a question about RNA3 and laptop. With Navi 33 probably making the bulk of laptop and being functionally on a similar node to RDNA2 mobile, that is, they're moving to 6 nanometer with Navi 33 before they use 7, how much improvement Jennifer Gen would you expect? Are they going to pull an NVIDIA and just push more wattage to get that improvement? No, I wouldn't say so. And I think you've got to remember that, well, the six nanometer products we've seen, I guess, which is really just the 6500 XT, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus the seven nanometer products from RDNA 2 does, doesn't seem to get a huge improvement in performance per watt. That's because they basically just converted to six nanometer somewhat, not last minute, but like it wasn't like built from the ground up for six nanometer. You know, when they redesigned the PS5 for six nanometer, we're seeing that they saved 18% space. That's pretty incredible considering, you know, six nan, they like got the maximum yeah. density boost they could get. So I, I would say if you build a architecture from the ground up for six nanometer, like they're doing with the Navi 33 variant of RDNA three. No, I think you can expect them to save at least 10% die space and get at least in a, a pretty decent efficiency bonus, especially because they'll use faster memory. It'll be re- more mature than before. Um, I think what you should expect out of Navi 33 is to, uh, 
mean, what did I put down here? I put down some notes. You know, the same sources that got me accurate, like performance estimates and stuff, like Navi 31, they expected Navi 33 to be around Navi 21 raster performance in 1080p. Now, when I see Angstronomics say that Navi 33 only has a 200 millimeter squared die, and all this other stuff has been correct so far, I don't know how I square that away. What I would suggest is we should probably expect Navi 33 to perform between a 6700 XT and a 6800 in raster for now. And so mm-hmm. overall, I think you're getting, I don't know, I, I would expect it to at least be 30% more performance at same power and laptop with Navi 33 over the Navi 23 mobile variants. So I think they used all the way up to the 6800 HS. So uh, hopefully that wasn't a confusing and all over the place answer. But I guess what I'm basically saying is, no, they, they built RDNA 3 from the ground up for better performance per watt. Not 100% sure Navi 33 will bring that full 54% performance per watt increase. But I think we should expect at least 30%. I think you should expect Navi 33 laptops, the graphics portion to use 65 watts, and probably perform like a 3070 laptop or something. I think that's mm-hmm. what you should expect. And you know, considering they'll have a smaller die, probably than Navi 23, I think they'll be able to put this in budget gaming laptops. That's going to be awesome. Well, 20, if it's two, if it's what Angstronomics suggests, that's going to be a lot smaller than 23, right? Or am I... No, that was only 237 millimeters squared. Oh, okay. Well, still another 10%. I mean, what? That would probably be able to go into like the same stuff that Navi 23 is not really so what he said package. is that they specifically designed this to be drop in compatible with laptops to try okay. to like save money. I mean, that makes sense from a from a laptop design perspective, why it would be so damn small if it does turn out to be 200 millimeters or 203 millimeters. But it is weird because everyone was expecting above 300 millimeters squared for Navi 33. So if it's mm-hmm. 200, I don't know what wires were crossed or like if this was like a if it's just black magic and it performs like a card bigger than it should be yeah it's been a while it's it's been a while since i like read that angstronomics uh post but yeah i remember 200 being notable and how small it was if they can actually get that again let's be clear about this even if it was only like an rx 6700 xt in 1080p performance it's two-thirds the die size, and yeah. it's on six nanometer from seven. This is a small node shrink, but not a big one. If they manage to accomplish that, that is masterful well, silicon design. Do, do you remember what TSMC advertised for the uh, density increase for uh, six nanometer? I don't know. I think it was like 10 to 20% or something. Yeah, so I don't know. If they do this, <laughs> I don't know. Like, then this is still the most impressive die from a design perspective yeah. I've ever seen. This yeah. is actual efficiency, not just 20xing cash and using GDR6X and being <laughs> like it's stronger. Um, Mr. Sideburns writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. With AMD now making chiplet GPUs, how far away do you think they are from APUs made from a combo of CCDs, GCDs, IO, and MCDs or cash dies? I know it's not too far away in data center, but Will we see it in laptop or desktop anytime soon? As a side note, when do you think that Intel will catch up with AMD's APU performance? Well, I'm not going to bother speculating on that because that's its own giant discussion in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'd have to take too many things into account to, you know, waste too much time on that here. But what I will say is, guys, the, the dies that are about 200 millimeter squared have had fantastic yields since 16 nanometer. 
and seven nanometer has better yields than 16. Five nanometer has better yields than seven. There's always going to be tons of monolithic APUs, especially below 150 millimeters squared, because they almost don't need to disable them. So, mm-hmm. and monolithic is more efficient than chiplets. It just gets a bonus. So unless it's supposed to be extra powerful, there's almost no point in making it a chiplet design if the yields are like 80% or higher. And they're probably yeah, 90% or higher. I'm just um, trying to think like, what what would what level of performance would they be trying to get with a, a chiplet design for an APU? Because mm-hmm. a monolithic design, like, <laughs> so what? Are they going to start making, I don't know, like, 600 millimeter squared APUs or something because that's I think when it starts becoming obvious when they would need a chiplet design because as it stands like I don't know the PS5 is what 200 something like 250 oh, I don't remember I think millimeters. the 18 nanometer one's like 200 something I mean 18 the, the uh, 6 nanometer one why did I say 18 the <laughs> 6 nanometer one I was probably thinking 18 percent yeah, the yeah. 6 nanometer version of the PS5 is a 200 something millimeter squared thing it's it's tiny already it probably is great yield yeah so i just don't think you need to go beyond monolithic really at least right now unless i think unless we're starting to just replace gpus and cpus with apus regularly <laughs> bless me dan bless yeah me. i mean sorry guys i sneezed but i did it off mic so it probably didn't annoy you um but yeah i mean it, it, and then let's also be clear about this like what could they use it for I don't know, like, let's say Xilinx had an AI engine Strix or something was going to use. I could see that being a chiplet thing. Although, again, you probably just want to design it into the monolithic thing as an IP block anyways. Or let's say there's a cache die, but then you can just put the cache on top, you know. So it's hard for me to come up with an example of why they would do it unless it saves money adding MCDs in the future. They Mm -hmm. can swap out various MCDs, like maybe there's a DDR4 one. A DDR5 one, DDR6 one, and a GDDR6 one that they can yeah. use for an APU meant for gaming. I think that's the situation I would think of. Um, but besides that, I don't see that much of a reason to use chiplets uh, on an APU. And also, they are going to Dragon Range. So mm-hmm. t- next year, sideburns. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like why they would do it for a powerful gaming one. I don't see the argument unless they've got something where like the fully enabled. 200 something millimeter squared die then gets an mcd that supports gdr6 or if it's cut down they throw in the ddr5 one could not be a gaming laptop i could see that but i still don't really expect crazy apus with tons of chiplets until like strix and even then i'd temper my expectations on how many of the chiplets are even for gaming Mm -hmm. although this fall has been insanely busy for most members of the moore's laws dead team there's one team member who's been allowed to take it quite easy recently and well unless you're reesey unless you're just a dog chilling on a fall afternoon you could probably benefit from as little wasted time as possible and you should probably then try vite ramen vite ramen is a delicious american crafted source of protein and nutrients that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste this includes their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice while cooking and their new ramen go packages that offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15 minute lunch break whether you're 
back in the office now or still just working from home, bite ramen. You'll never be too busy to eat. And if you click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON, you can save 10% off a variety of different products, including special bundles for Moore's Law said fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and the Vite Go packages as well, and other cooking utensils and products. Whatever you'd prefer, using these offer codes really helps support Moore's Law is dead tremendously, and it gets you a good deal on a healthy, fast-to-make, and tasty, reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Try Vite Ramen today. All right. Let us then move on to story number five. Zen 4 prices drop on Newegg and several other retailers. This is going to be a small write-up, but I did want to cover this. Uh, at least of this recording, on Newegg, Zen 4 prices have dropped to $574 for the 7950X, $473 for the 7900X, $349 for the 7700X, and $249 for the 7600X. And on Amazon, prices are slowly going down, especially for the 7900X as well, roughly matching, I think, the new egg prices. And so, I don't know. This is interesting because if you're considering getting a new system, this easily, I think, makes the value in line with what Raptor Lake offers. And it also follows what I suggested months ago AMD would do if Zen 4 doesn't sell. You go to amd.com right now, the official MSRP has not changed. They're taking a similar approach to what they did with Zen 3 and Alder Lake. If prices need to go down, whatever. At the official MSRP, retailers make higher margins than Intel. But if they want to drop prices on their own, AMD is going to let them. And uh, the only other thing I'd add on to this story is I got in some really specific numbers from a few major retail people who work at major retailers. And I won't say the exact numbers because then you can know which retailer I'm talking about. But even if I said percentages, you can know. What I will say is that Zen 4 is still not really outsold by Raptor Lake yet. Now, it's been out longer. Mm -hmm. But still, at this point, Raptor Lake's been out a month. So, I don't know. I think it's still interesting to point out that the best seller right now is Zen 3. For the year, it's Alder Lake, but Alder Lake sales are falling behind. And just even in the right last month's sales, the, I think the order of sales is Zen 3, and then Raptor Lake, and then Zen 4. And then Alder Lake or something like that. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's basically how the sales are going. But nonetheless, Newegg has decided to lower prices. I mean, what do you think about this? Uh, I Not too much to say that we haven't already said, I don't think. Like, this is kind of the pricing that we talked about before that I think would be. Besides uh, the close. 7950X, which is cheaper than I think it needs to be, frankly. But oh, Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I think this is like kind of the ideal price range that. Uh, Zen 4 should be at, like you said, where I think it's pretty much top to bottom compa uh, competitive with Raptor Lake at this point. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of just becomes harder to say which which line you would recommend over the other. And I think it's just more down to individual circumstance where like if you have Alder Lake, I think it's pretty obvious you would get uh, Raptor Lake in most instances, although... I don't know. The 13900K is still almost just too much to me. But <laughs> I mean, when it comes to power usage, but um, mm -hmm. and then I think it, now if you're building new, then I think it's it's leaning into you should get Zen 4 because new platform. Absolutely. And a platform that has a dedicated slot for a Gen 5 M.2. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, look at 250 bucks. I choose the 7600X over the i5 if you're doing pure gaming. I just mm -hmm. do. I, I'm sorry. 
It's $100 less. You can get a B650 motherboard or B650 Extreme for like 200 bucks. That has Gen 5 PCIe for the the GPU in the future and the future M.2 slot. And it beats the i5 in gaming. And so there's no way around it. Like the i5 actually loses by quite a bit in gaming. (laughs) Notable 10 to 15, maybe more percent if you use a DDR4 system. And I think this is where the 7600X should have always been, frankly. It should have always been 250. The 7700X always should have been 350. So it's trading blows and multi-threading with the i5. I still think there's an argument for the i5 if you're mostly a creator and want a budget system, though, to be honest. Yeah. Um, And the 7900X, I don't know, the 7900X is just always a weird one for me because it's like, what, are you not going to add $100 to your system's cost to get four more cores? I don't know. I've always thought that, though, about the 16 versus 12 core. Uh, if that's the price difference. And the 7950X is the easiest recommendation over the i9 at this point for me, ever. It's so easy. It's like, are you kidding yeah, me? That's the same price or less than the i9, and it uses half the energy, and it has a better platform. It's enthusiast build. Get the, get the 7950X. Yeah, and you don't need to get up at <laughs> 200-something dollar uh, cooler to actually cool the damn thing. Yeah, what's interesting is that Raptor Lake's been out for half as much time and is just now, based on what I'm told, managing to have total sales for the year even to Zen 4. Now this happens. I am curious to see how the year ends if Zen 4 will end up outselling Raptor Lake overall. But I don't know. There's something to be said for day one reviews saying nice things. They said nicer things about Raptor Lake on average, I think. Well, we'll Yeah, they did. I, yeah, I, we'll see. Also, uh, I don't know how long this price drop is going to be sustained for, or if this is a like semi-permanent thing. Because at least as of right now, and I know websites it love advertising. It doesn't say temporary pricing, though. It doesn't say it's temporary on Newegg. Okay. Well, and, and websites love advertising sales, so they're still advertising it as a sale. But I don't know. This could just be mm. the new prices. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would expect them to go back up at some point to, if they yeah. sell really well, because if they're selling well, then they're going to go, oh, well, then it could be a little more than this, mm-hmm. which I would suspect the 7600X and 7700X should stay where they are. Uh, the 7900X should it be 500, though, at most. And the 7950X, I think, can sell for 600 or 650, frankly, because from what I'm hearing yeah. from retailers, they're they're not having trouble selling the 7950X at 700. So I find that interesting. Maybe Newegg is, though. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it surprises me to see the 7950X go that low. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it is interesting. If you got that Micro Center deal, though, where you got the free RAM, definitely better than this deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> QH Freddy writes in. He says, dare I say the presentation by AMD today, this is from November 10th, was quite jovial, if not downright smug. Lots of big numbers in power efficiency and general compute performance improvements. It makes me wonder whether Intel focusing on accelerators with Sapphire Rapids in future server architectures is really the right choice. Why should server customers invest in coding their applications for fixed function accelerators Intel has when they can get still a substantial generational performance uplift by just going with AMD and it also benefits everything else? Many times in the past, instruction set changes that promise performance benefits have been abandoned because of the cost of switching over software to a new ISA, along with teaching programmers how to use the new ISA. Is history going to repeat itself again with Sapphire Rapids versus Genoa? Well, Genoa is mostly just better than Sapphire Rapids. I say mostly, and that's a strong mostly. It's something mm-hmm. crazy better. Um, but if I were to make a pro intel argument here which i'm not saying i agree with it they would say 
Well, Sapphire Rapids is the first step towards our tiled future. And just like Zen 1 didn't seem crazy better than Coffee Lake, wait until Zen 2 shows up. That's what Intel would say to you is this is how they want to go with it, what they're planning to do until Granite Rapids and onwards. And even though it's not amazing now, it still has some pretty obvious benefits. You haven't seen anything yet. That's what Intel would say. But in the short term, you're right, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. New new features usually have some uh, teething issues that or not, not even necessarily teething issues, just adoption issues. Uh, but if everybody moves to uh, ha- uh, certain hardware accelerators, which I think they're going to. Well, I don't know. There will be some early adopters. Maybe Sapphire Rapids will suffer. But I, I don't think the idea that like fixed function hardware acceleration is, I, I don't think that's going to go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other reason I brought up this question, besides just answering it on its face value, is I almost forgot, Dan. I mean, AMD had their uh, Genoa reveal on November 10th, and that fits into this news cycle. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just... I feel like I leaked everything in my Sienna Zen 4C leak that showed Genoa slides anyways. And they didn't even show the Sienna stuff. So I'm just saying, guys, the reason that's not its own story is I don't really think we learned anything from the reveal that we didn't. I literally leaked AMD slides of it. So I don't think we learned anything. <laughs> yeah. It was in the other news cycle. That's for us. If you're, if you're a Moore's Law is Dead fan, there are just times where you are a entire cycle ahead of everyone else. This is a circumstance where I don't think we would have had anything to say about the Genoa reveal, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then let us move on to something that I am sure we have a lot to say about with story number six. Intel Meteor Lake, Arrow Lake, Lunar Lake, and Panther Lake leaked. All right, here we go. On November 9th, Tom leaked a flurry of details and upcoming Intel on upcoming Intel desktop architectures. First of all, Meteor Lake is trying to launch on LGA 1851 by the end of 2023, although there could be delays, and it will have six big Redwood Cove cores and 16 little Crestmont cores if it does come to desktop, and people should expect the Crestmont and Redwood Cove cores to respectively bring about a 15 to 25% IPC increase over the big and little cores they're replacing. So it's big, but that will come with a slight clock speed regression. And then Arrow Lake comes out second half of 2024 on the same LGA 1851 platform with eight Lion Cove cores and 16 Skymont cores. Lion Cove, which is used in the big cores of Arrow Lake, plans to bring a massive IPC increase utilizing Intel's 20A node for mobile, but if it's not ready for high yields on desktop, they will use TSMC's 3 or even N3X node for the desktop variants. When I say a large IPC increase, I'm talking like 20 to 35%, guys. Like I'm saying bigger than Alder Lake IPC increases is what's expected out of Arrow Lake. This is the Royal Core project Jim Keller worked on. After that, uh, oh, and I also should add, there were plans, apparently, uh, at least designed, for an 8 plus 16 Meteor Lake and an 8 plus 32 Arrow Lake. But for whatever reason, those versions were canceled. And now Intel is basically, if they launch them to desktop, launching the mid-range die for desktop or the HX laptop configuration as the top desktop die. After Meteor Lake and Arrow Lake, Lunar Lake is planned to launch at the very end, like December or maybe even early 2025, December 2024, early 2025. Lunar Lake SKUs with four Panther Lake big cores and then four little cores. Think of Lunar Lake as similar to Tiger Lake U, the 15-watt quad-core Tiger Lake 
uh, APUs. This is like a premium Ultrabook architecture that is testing out the Panther Lake, uh, the Panther Cove, Cove. sorry guys, <laughs> the Panther Cove Big Gore architecture early. And it aim and then Panther Cove will be used again in Panther Lake on desktop in 2025 or 2026, aiming for a top to bottom conquest of leadership performance and efficiency. And also more lakes, Norton Lake and Anderson Lake where architecture is canceled. So how would I summarize all of this if you've gotten confused by all the lakes, coves, and monts that I've mentioned? And I don't blame you if you did. Well, basically, Intel looks pretty fucked next year. I mean, <laughs> that's what I put yeah. in the lineup. I'm sorry, guys. Like, Phoenix comes out on 4 nanometer with Zen 4 next to Zen 4 with 3D cache. They really don't have anything but Raptor Lake refreshes mid-next year at most, and it's just going to lose. And then if they even bring Meteor Lake to desktop, it's going to cap out at six big cores. Overall, 6 plus 16 with a better architecture is better than 8 plus 16 Raptor Lake. But it's it's not going to probably even beat Zen 4 X3D, and it's going to get crushed by Zen 5 at the beginning of 2024. And then that's probably going to be another rough six months until finally Air Lake comes out. So overall, next year is going to be a hard one for Intel and the CPU department. But by the end of 2024, things should start turning around. And there's a chance Air Lake and Panther Lake just firmly take the gaming performance crown, which will be exciting to see. Oh, and one more thing in that video. Or that leak, I should say, which was a video leak. Uh, to make up for their multi-threading losses, they seem to be focusing on a true return to workstation competition with Fishhawk Falls and so on and so forth, and a Granite Rapids Redwood Plus workstation lineup. So yeah, even if yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think I've said enough there. You know, they're they're, they're kind of they're they're, they're kind of uh, cheaping out on how hard they push their desktop lineup over the next year, but they're going to have an HEDT lineup nonetheless. A uh, lot of stuff there, Dan. What are your thoughts? Uh, Meteor Lake, I don't, it sounds like it's kind of a repeat of Co Comet Lake, right? Yes. Yeah. I don't have that backwards. Right. Um, no, you have it right. Okay. It kind of sounds yeah, like assuming it. Assuming that's what you meant to say. Like You think it's like Comet Lake where it's like better, but like, eh. Yeah, <laughs> it's like better, but also t technically, but there's two fewer cores. I don't oh, know. No, you're thinking of Rocket Lake. Oh, yes, I am thinking of Rocket Lake. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sounds like a repeat of Rocket Lake where it's just, I don't know, technically kind of better, but there's two fewer cores. And uh, I, I don't know. I guess they'll be able to advertise better price performance. I mean, better gaming uh, performance than their previous generation, I would guess. Maybe they'll be able to beat Zen 4X 3D gaming performance, but it, I don't I, think so. I could see a situation. Will where, there be some games where they do yeah, that don't use the 3D V cache? Well, maybe, but I, I could just know. see like the 7700 X3D or the 7900 X3D being the gaming performance kings for an entire year. And then midway through that, Meteor Light comes out and it's like, this is an option too now. <laughs> it's like Rocket Lake, but at least it's not inefficient. Yes. And that's then, how I would summarize Meteor Lake. And then I don't know. Arrow Lake seems like it's where they're back to competition again. And then Panther Lake sounds like where you might finally. It, it's been more competitive this entire time than when AMD was down in the dumps. But Panther Lake sounds like where Intel could truly be like the cl uh, resurgent, clearly better than AMD again. Yeah, and Which, that's what four years, three years now, I guess. <laughs>
Right. And, you know, since you're getting really distant into the future, like, let me bring up these reader mails that kind of get into that. Beefish36 writes in and says, I had a question in your recent video. Lunar Lake does indeed sound like Intel attempting to win the under 25 watt laptop space. However, I wonder what about the iGPU portion of that. The thing that excited me about Air Lake was 320 execution units of Battlemage graphics with an additional on-die cache. And the graphics seem to be precisely where Intel is dropping the ball of late. How is Intel going to compete with Strix? Um, guys, this stuff is so far away that it's like, and I did have a number suggested, by the way, for Lunar Lake, but I decided not to leak the graphics information I had because I just didn't have multiple sources cooperating it. So I'm like, eh, let's save it. Um, but it, it, it should have weaker graphics than Arrow Lake, but it's a lot smaller die, you know, or, mm-hmm. or at least don't expect it to be a graphics conqueror. It's, it's just going to be good for the amount of energy it uses. Um, but when it comes to like, how are they going to compete with like anything after Strix? It's like, guys, I don't know. I mean, Strix uses Zen five. I think they're gonna have trouble competing with that. But by the time, you know, Lunar Lake's out, AMD will have Zen six. Right. So, you know, when you talk about like competition up then it's like, I don't even know what AMD is going to have. So let's not speculate yet. If Lunar Lake's going to be that impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think AMD has generally been pretty good on uh, executing on its timelines, but like when we're talking three years out, I I don't know, that could be like, what, a three, four month window still even where it's uh, we need to wait and see how one, all of the performance of both uh, products ends up going, which it's uh, going to, which it's just hard to even predict at this point. And then we have to see how well both of them execute on their timelines, which depending on how well they do. If AMD starts falling behind at some point, who, who knows, maybe AMD could be behind Intel uh, as far as their execution timelines go like three, four years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, which getting the future questions out of the way, I should write and he says, Tom, do you have any yield information on Intel's oncoming nodes? Intel four, Intel three, Intel 28 or Intel 18 angstrom zero. 18 has zero yields, 20 Angstrom has zero yields, and three Intel 3 has zero yields because they're not out yet. So I, I can't tell you how well they will be. What I can say is Intel's 4 node seems to be better along to what 10 nanometer was, but it's still like a year away. So guys, no, it's, it's too early to say where they will get. I think their Intel 4 node will progress way better than 10 nanometer did, but it's still too early for me to say if it's significantly better than like Broadwell 14 nanometer by the time it comes out. Uh, I would say the fact that they're considering using TSMC 3 nanometer for Air Lake's line Cove cores should tell you that they are aware things could go wrong, but it's too soon to say. I mean, yeah, the slides are definitely, uh, they're definitely hedging a bit, at least as far as their, uh, as their node progression goes, where they're like, we'll use one of these two nodes if uh, 18A doesn't work out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Spamtum writes in and he says, assuming that Meteor Lake tops out at six big cores and 16 little cores, how in the world are they going to segment the i9s, i7s, and i5s? The only way I can think of is changing the number of e-cores. Well, right. And let me be clear what I think they should do. Meteor Lake has been designed for LGA 1851. So I don't think there's anything wrong with releasing it as a mid-range gaming lineup. Like, just mm-hmm. don't call it an i9 like i know that's hard for you intel they're gonna call it they're gonna call it an i9 though i know but it's so dumb like i know god dang it comet lake had a 10 core i9 
Rocket Lake should have just topped out at an eight core i7 and call it a day. There was so dumb to launch that inefficient joke CPU that was arguably weaker than their previous flagship. I think what they should do is i7, i5, and i3 and say, hey, you know what? We top out at i7, but this is you can get LGA 1851 early, and then you can unlock, uh, uh, then you can upgrade to an Arrow Lake i9 in the future. But yeah, I don't know. They pro- you're right. They probably will insist on calling something an i9, and if they do, I think it's pretty obvious what they will do. They'll either do what they did with Rocket Lake, where the top two configurations are the, the same, same. <laughs> but one of them's clocked 10 percent faster, or there will be an i9 with the six big cores, 16 little cores. An i7 with six big cores, 12 little cores, and the i5 will be the same, six plus eight, and probably beat the existing i5 by 15% or so at lower power. And there'll be an i3, I imagine, that's four plus four. And, you know, I think, again, it'll be fine. Like, Zen 4 X3D should boost performance at least, well, at least 10%, but up to 30%, and maybe around 15% again or 20% again in gaming. And that will put them a firm 10% above Raptor Lake or so. And if Meteor Lake is 15% higher IPC, but slightly lower clock speeds, I think what you'll see is in the very top, AMD still wins all performance crowns mostly. But the i5, i7 and will we'll trade blows and be reasonably priced. I think they'll be fine. And at least now they won't use, at least now the i5 won't use over 200 watts, which it does, mm-hmm. by the way. It's just kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I don't know. And the i9 will probably just, look kind of stupid that generation we'll see unless the e-cores start getting utilized more effectively then i don't know maybe the i7 will look stupid <laughs> well and you know keep this in mind maybe a- intel just won't la- launch lga 1851 with meteor like maybe they'll save it for arrow lake mm. like there's a chance they could just refresh raptor lake with 200 megahertz higher core clocks and horrible power consumption again and that's not really going to do anything to keep up with Zen 4 X3D, but there's a, that's a lot easier to do than launching an entire Meteor-like desktop platform. So keep in mind that is something they could do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could see the desire to not launch an entire new platform if you're just going to fall short of your competition that's been out for four months anyways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say? I mean, it's interesting how there was so much leaked. Meteor Lake, Redwood Cove... Arrow Lake, Lion, Panther Lake. I don't believe anyone else has talked about Panther Lake yet. Like, and I'm the one who's leaked this code name, just like I did first with like Cypress Cove and Redwood Cove and stuff. But I don't know. Do you have anything else to add? It's, it's distantly in the future. It seems like they're going to bring big gaming performance increases and accelerator increases every gem, but multi-threading, they're stagnating a little. Yeah, I... I, I... I think it's interesting that they'll be still on uh, eight plus sixteen cores uh, by Panther into twenty twenty four. Yeah, I, I would have thought. I don't know about Panther Lake, but at least Arrow Lake. Okay, so I, I mean, still, I, I, I'm surprised they haven't increased. I they won't have increased either efficiency or uh, performance cores by that point. Uh, but you know, Arrow Lake sounds like it could be impressive if they have a big uh if they have another big ipc increase and then panther lake although it's a ways out sounds like it will be really good <laughs> you yeah. know well it's gonna need to be because zen 5 is gonna be the big one a much bigger increase than zen 4 and zen 4 isn't a slouch so Arrow Lake, it's like it's just funny you know i think this is something tim talked to me about to the last time he was on at the beginning of this year and he's like isn't it interesting how the leaked zen 4 raptor lake performance is where it needs to be to be competitive and it's <laughs> like i think some people have trouble believing like lion cove will being i don't know let's say 
25% maybe higher IPC, maybe 30. But keep in mind that right now they're about even an IPC and AMD is going to bring another big IPC increase with Zen 5 and big core count increases to my knowledge. So if Intel is not going to increase core counts next, almost next year, but technically two years from now, um, <laughs> I... If it's still just 8 plus 16, it better have a huge IPC increase to compete with probably 24, 32 cores Zen 5, right? So, I mean, yeah, they, they, they've got a big gap to make up for in multi-threading if, the, if uh, Zen 5 is going to increase core counts again. Well, and keep this in mind as well. Like, I don't know if Intel will have stacked cash on That's their cores. True. Yeah. Like, what we really should do is compare Zen, not Zen 5 to Zen 4, but Zen 5 X3D to Zen 4. Yeah, that's probably going to be like 40% higher IPC than what we have now. Yeah. Yes, Arrow Lake needs probably 40% higher IPC to compete <laughs> with Zen 5 X3D, which it kind of sounds to me like Zen 5 X3D will launch with X3D models at launch. So, yeah. Yeah, they, they have a lot. They have a big gap to make up for if all of that comes to Zen 5 at launch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I've said before, one of those first catchphrase things I've said that people repeated over and over, AMD is not sitting still. The reason Intel needs to get to a 30% needs a 15% with Redwood Cove and a 30% with Lion Cove is from Zen 4 to Zen 5 X3D, they <laughs> could increase IPC by 30 to 50%. Mm-hmm. That's what Intel's gonna have to do. Um, but yeah, so I don't think it sounds that crazy at all, actually. Again, I just go, hey, you're waiting to build. I don't know what to tell you guys. You wait for Zen 4 X3D, then you have to wait for Zen 5, then you have to wait for Zen 6 and Arrow. Like there's big increases coming every year. Yeah. All right. Now let us move on to the final wrap up. These are, of course, these stories that don't get their own stories, but I thought was worth mentioning. Um, let me see. What do we have here? So we got one of those websites that was doing um Wait, am I looking at an old thing here at the endurance testing, Dan? Yes, you are. <laughs> okay, well, let me skip this one and let me move on to the next one then. Uh, Intel has a deep fake detector and they say it is 96% accurate. I've got to say, my reading was that's not very good. Uh, I mean, they're going to say it's good, but as I, I don't know, as a. Uh, co- People get better at redoing their uh, doing deep fakes. That's numbers going to go down. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those evolutionary arms races where the people making the deep fakes are going to constantly be figuring out ways to evade the AI thing. And we're just going to have this battle back and forth between being able to identify deep fakes and people figuring out ways to evade whatever they're doing. <laughs> Right, because when you say 96% accurate, it's like, okay, I guess that's kind almost a certainty, but I would want 99%. And they're getting substantially better every year. So, you know, if you're only 96% good at noticing a deep fake now, next year, what are you going to be, 50%? That's not enough. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Deep fakes in general just, they're, that's just, yeah, yeah a, a bomb waiting to blow up with, uh, insane uh, implications. I mean, I, I I haven't seen a deep fake for a while. I don't know how good they are now. I've generally been pr- pretty good at being able to identify them, but wow. I saw a recent one, and you know, I gotta say, 
Neil Brennan just had a stand-up special come out and he was talking about it on a podcast, which I think it was um an incredibly good stand-up special. Go check out Neil Brennan's special on Netflix. <laughs> on a podcast, he said that he used a deep fake for his face for a part of it. <laughs> really? And no one and it's and he says, You will not, I'm not gonna tell you where. You have to tell me when you think it is. It's impossible to notice. He said it's because he delivered a line and they didn't quite get his face when he delivered it. And he's like, Well, for the joke to land, you've got to see the face I'm making. And so they deep faked in a face. Now look, that was with the he said it cost them like two thousand dollars a second, and they only had to do a few seconds to fix it. And he also said that it was aided by him helping deep fake it in. But he's like, the fact that you can just do that now and edit in old speeches with things that you can say and it's unnoticeable, what happens when it becomes $100 a second? I don't know. We need a deep fake detector that's way better than this. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> uh, there are certainly, even from like four years ago, there are people that freaking can't identify deep fakes. So we need something. Yeah. 96% isn't cutting it. We're going to need 100% now and hopefully 90% in the future. 99%, I mean. Uh, Micron reducing DRAM and NAND production. So this is also, and Micron had pretty horrible earnings as well recently. I'm just throwing this out there that a lot of companies are reducing production. Mm. I don't know, guys. The recession really is here, and yet prices continue to go down. Well, there's no recession. <laughs> there's no recession, yeah. Um, also, Asus announces an RTX 3060 Ti GDDR6X model. And I looked it up, and I did find a tough 3060 Ti GDDR6X on Newegg for like $695. So I don't know what that's about. I assume it'll get cheaper. I don't know. I, I, if if this got to 90% of the performance or 95% of a 3070 and it was like 400 bucks, I guess I can see the argument. But so far, this just, I'm not that excited I, about this. Yeah, I mean, I can see why someone made it, but not at that price. <laughs> Yeah, I assume it's an early import from China or something that, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, also, LG announces a 1440p, 240 hertz OLED monitor with a 0.3 millisecond response time for $1,000. That's actually getting there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I uh, actually was about to send this to you and you, <laughs> uh, I noticed it in the script already. <laughs> I, I think this is a big deal because it's almost felt like how how can't we get defeated talking about when is OLED coming to reasonably priced monitors? And it does seem like late next year we'll probably have them finally. Yeah, I mean, this is still pretty expensive, I think, for, you know, what you're getting. Uh, well, it's a 1440p monitor, but uh, I don't know. If you're a high frame rate gamer, this looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know. This is if you and I imagine. Yeah, I imagine the contrast and just the color is going to be amazing. So I guess if you, do, uh, I, you know, I found that on OLED, I'd have to test this monitor to know if it's true. But on some OLED panels I've seen, it it depends what the content is. But I don't notice aliasing as much. Mm -hmm. It's not like a. It's not quite like a CRT situation where aliasing is just so different that you practically don't see it. But it is halfway between crt and lcd i would say and so i don't know 1440p oled a thousand bucks that's it's probably pretty good and, and if they made that a thousand dollars for 4k there i think we're there where we have awesome monitors to power with rdna3 mm -hmm. and lovelace now yeah um well not lovelace if it's 4k because it couldn't hit 240 hertz of course all right now let us move on then 
to the final reader mails. Uh, Pigeon writes in and he says, Hi, Tom. In Broken Silicon 178, you said that the ability to use a keyboard and monitor while wearing the Meta Quest Pro is a bad idea. Right, so this is the Quest Pro that I think is fifteen or sixteen hundred dollar MSRP, and the idea being that it has all of these color cameras on there, so you're supposed to be able to see yourself, your monitors, and be able to type while having VR things pop up in front of you. Me and you thought that sounded silly. He says the way I see it from my short experience of VR game development is that it's a very useful feature if you want to quickly test and tune new features in a VR environment. Sometimes it really feels like you spend most of your time putting the headset on and off, or in my case, my eyebrows would get sore and tired from having it on my forehead all the time. I'm not going to argue with you at all, man. But what I will say is most people aren't, this isn't how Meta wants to make their money. Like Meta wants to sell the Quest Pro to businesses for people working in cubicles. That's how you get volume, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, and I, I I do think you can find like you can find a use case for anything for for most of these products. Like if they're relatively well made, which yeah, the MetaQuest Pro is, I'm sure, a well made product. But uh, I just don't think that speaks to there being a, a a breadth of applications to the MetaQuest Two, at least for like from a business sense, because I don't think most people would want to be sitting at their office with a VR headset on because I just don't see what you get out of it. Yeah, I just don't see the average person finding much. But yeah, for game development, it might yeah, be te- very useful. Yeah, test it, literally work testing a VR environment. That would make sense, yeah. Tick Dickler writes in, he says, Capcom has released a native M1 Mac port of Resident Evil 8 that utilizes Metal FX upscaling solutions providing an interesting case study for Apple's sort of FSR competitor. What are your thoughts? My takeaway is the same takeaway Tom's always had with Apple Silicon. Impressive, but not magic. Did you look at this at all, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think the summary is you get, uh, like, in their quality upscaling mode, you get, like, uh, what would it be? About 20... About uh, about 50% better performance, and then in their uh, performance mode, they get double in resident evil village um mm-hmm. and the image perf- quality comparable or not uh quality i think the quality mode looks pretty good maybe a little artifacty the performance mode looks like it's probably pretty artifacty to me though so so not There's as not a, certainly not as good as dlss and doesn't seem better than fsr probably worse than maybe even fsr um hmm. or comparable. I, I guess there's just not enough a- games with it in it yet I, um i would need to to be able to more directly compare like resident evil village fsi which there just haven't been many comparisons made to them yet as far as i can tell uh quality mode i don't know i think it probably looks like it's close to as good as like probably looks as good as fsr performance mode looks like it might be a bit worse depending on the game but like i mean i've told you about uh like deep rock galactic fsr performance mode i think looks pretty meh <laughs> mm-hmm. so I, I i guess i i think you need to see more games before you can draw any solid conclusions okay tick dickler writes in and he says will 40 frames per second become the new 30 we've seen a lot of devs or at least talented ones at a mode enabling it for compatible tvs considering the response time of 40 fps is the midway point between 30 and 60 well no that would literally be 45 my friend uh it kind of seems like a no-brainer of a compromise though 
Hell, it might actually be good for a quality mode to be a viable alternative to performance. Yeah, because I'm sorry, like if you're going from 60 to 30, it doesn't matter how much better it looks. I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. Like in any game that I've seen on console, at least. It's to each their own, but I struggle to fathom how anyone with a fully developed brain would intentionally choose 30 FPS modes on modern consoles. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, me and you played Resident Evil 8 on PS5 and we played in the ray tracing mode, and I think it was usually 55-ish frames per second, and we have, you know, adaptive sync monitors, so we didn't really care. Or you didn't yeah. have an adaptive sync. You played it without a... Well, now no, you are, though. Yeah. Yeah. Because by the time you finally got to playing Resident Evil 8, you had adaptive sync, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a part of me that says, dude, just make it 60 frames per second. Come on. I mean, there's like a lot of games that advertise like 40 frames per second unlocked. And what that means is you usually get like an average of 55 and it dips to 40 sometimes like 50 to 55. And I I, I can see that as like an alternative to just having a locked 60 in some games. But I would just prefer like, I don't know, have a ray tracing mode that's locked 60 and slightly lower dynamic resolution or tweak some setting a little bit so i don't have to pick between 40 fps or 48 unlocked or 60 without ray tracing it would be nice to just have 60 frames per second i agree i i I think um i definitely get tick tickler's point of 30 fps makes it a non-viable option because no one would choose that with a brain and maybe if you make it 40, at least some people would. But I would just say, no, what you do is 45 unlocked. It dips to 45 at most. It's usually around 50 or maybe even 40 unlocked. Like where the lowest dip you will get is 40 and it's usually around 50. But with mm-hmm. adaptive sync, if you like the eye candy, it's good. That's what I think. I, I don't think there's a point in bothering with even 40. I think make it 40 minimums, usually around 50. And I could see the argument. But everything else, even if it's a locked 40, I just don't see the argument. 60 is just better. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I, or, yeah, and 30 just... Yeah, 30 looks 30 awful 30 is stupid. Now. You know, it's... The only reason they would have 30 if they... They should never just have 30, in my opinion. Even indie games, it's terrible. My, I, I mm. hate it. Um, But what I would say is 30 can stay as like a screenshot option. I think that's what it should be. And it should be easy to toggle it on and off very quickly for mm-hmm. screenshots. But that's all it should be used for. All right, Falto writes in and he says, Hi, Tom. Would you be able to give any updates regarding a new Nintendo console at this point? Like, about when can we expect them to release it and how powerful can it be? Or right now, all the info is same as previously stated and there's no updates? Well, I mean, I, I would say I don't see why there would be any updates. We know it's Oren-based. We know it's coming out next year. And uh, if I knew firm release schedules and the exact specs of what they're cutting it down to, I would probably have leaked it by now. So I put this in there because I've actually seen a decent amount of people ask me. Maybe I'm just missing something. Maybe there's been more Nintendo leaks, leaks recently and I missed it. Certainly possible with how much AMD, NVIDIA, and Intel news there's been. But um no i don't think there's much else to say i think uh we recently did a i don't remember if it was with you or a guest a pretty big breakdown of what to expect out of the nintendo consoles Mm -hmm. and i think we know guys you know (laughs) it's going to be a lot stronger than last gen it's unlikely it's not going to be as strong as current gen consoles and i would expect it to be i don't know 
maybe around a little weaker than like a Series S is kind of what I'm expecting. Somewhere around there, but with DLSS, hopefully you can expect to get close to that. It's launching next year. I don't think there's really much else to know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think people are probably it's the switch is getting it to the point where I, I think it it's needs a 20 to be nanometer updated. SOC or something, right? Yeah, like it's it, so old. The, 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 a new console needs to come out from Nintendo. I mean, I guess the switch will have been around for six years when uh, or thereabouts when uh, the its successor comes out, which is a pretty long lived console. Uh, and I think people just want, want something new at this point. Um, I mean, I, I just Googled to see if there's any rumors. It doesn't look like there's anything really new coming out. I mean, Tom, did you know, according to this rumor, that uh, the Switch 2 might use NVIDIA technology? What? <laughs> exactly. So if that's the latest rumors, it's just people leaking what we've already leaked a year or two years ago. I don't know, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I, I'm sure we'll see more early 2023 or something from Nintendo. Yeah, I think that's. I think what I heard is the earliest they'll be ready is like, what was it like? Either end of this year through late next year, and so mm-hmm. we'll see. And they've done spring launches for handhelds a lot, so it makes sense yeah, if it was it first half of next year. Too. Um. All right. Well, that's all. You know, that's all we got on the uh, agenda here. Anything else you wanted to say, Dan? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well then. Let me just thank everybody for listening. Remember, double check that you're subscribed to the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel and ring the bell button. YouTube does unsubscribe you sometimes, so really helps our numbers if you do that. Tell us in the algorithm if you do that. Tell your friends about us. Like our videos. Subscribe to Broken Silicon on a podcast app of your choice. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. All that helps people find our content without needing to be on YouTube. And if you have the extra money, support us on Patreon. You'll be able to get reader mails for these Broken Silicons like You've heard so many people today. You'd be able to ask us questions. Got some very exciting guests that you've already heard about, Dan, coming up over the next month. So you're definitely going to want to be a patron to ask them those questions. And uh, there's, you know, exclusive podcasts like Die Shrink, free questions on loose ends, access to the Discord. There's there's a lot of stuff out there if you support us. And we can't do this without that two, four dollars or something from patrons every month because uh, it's a consistent income. But uh, otherwise, I don't know. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, 
please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, da- Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Shredberg, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg D. Wontek, Andrew S., Frank Zelensky, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Aleb, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantum G. Spantum, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Kristen Lavoy, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cow. Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, Jeezy Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jess Kowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg Atrini, Patrick Groh, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Delmaine Peterson, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithiel, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan Koladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Brendan O'Connell, The Grid, Michelle Pell, Mitchell Pell, 31337 Antics, Joseph Kelly, Noah Noquella, Hexapuma, Grizzantine, Jerem Ferreira, Mayor, Keith, Keita, Abdul, Kadar, Precision, DNA Tech, Nicholas Alexandra, Jean O'Shea, Rice Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushbod, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, SJSMMH, Neith Rizink, Mean Dean, Cal, Andre Jacques, Game and Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Jordan Semkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, William Welpley, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Shin, Justin Bussell, Kelvin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shay, William Leaked, Corey Capel, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Samuel Park, Iron, uh, The Eternal Dreamers, Jan- Jansen, Angima, Mark Central, Derek Lambine, Michael, Fours and Pours, Him Sagung, Robert Davidson, Space Channel 5, Beer Motor, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.